Welcome back to the New Age Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White, and with me today, we have a full house, Mr. Martin Theobald, Bolt. and Mr. Terry Chapandama. We ready, we ready, we ready for y'all. I'm not uh, sure how well the banging the Fanta bottle against the, the box is going to come over, but it'll work there. I think it will. I'm getting a trace. So oh, think, yeah. Yeah, I think it has actually come up. Uh, um, so thanks for that, Terry. Yeah. More of that throughout the pod at various points, I think, will be much we appreciated by everyone. I'm singing with you next week, aren't I? Yeah. Uh, you are uh, singing next week, isn't you? I see this down at Newport. Yeah. For yeah. the fans out there that yeah. <laughs> they want to see Twisted Echo live. hordes of people that want to... <coughs> Newport's me, me, Cube Academy. Me and Andy, man. Come along. I'm, I'm just straight... I'm, I, am I lead or back up this time? <laughs> We're singing... Uh, on that Hitting basis? Hitting notes. <laughs> in that chorus, singing... And you can see Terry Chapandama live at Newport Pagnall's <laughs> Q Academy. Next Saturday. What is that place? A snooker place? I've never heard of it. Yeah, it's brilliant though. Like, in terms is it? It looked of, like, good on the photos. I've yeah, checked I mean, out. The bands that play there are obviously terrible, but like... <laughs> yeah, no, I'd also check that out. <laughs> I can verify. <laughs> but um, yes, it's nice. It's nice. Yeah. I, I, I'm talking to you as though... Probably an off-mic off conversation, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> so, Terry, did you get up to anything exciting this weekend? Sleeping, sleeping patterns are fucked, so... Not that much, man. Just popped out briefly yesterday. Joe, when you realise you're not going to sleep and you definitely have to watch the boxing because I had to watch the uh, you know, ITV debut with, with Al Heyman. So just popped out. Great thing about living in central London, you can just pop out. Just do something. Literally just pop out. Like I didn't just literally just popped out. A couple of people I knew, had a few drinks. Then he just came back, watched the boxing, went, fuck, I want to stay up. And then I had about three hours learning about machine learning. So... You know, swings and roundabouts. Sounds like fun. Sounds epic. Machine Not- learning's weird as fuck. Don't, <coughs> don't. It's a rabbit hole you don't want to go down. What is it? I've never heard of it. Oh, Let's man. do a podcast on it next what? week. Yeah, do it now. Just no. the box in. Right, no, done. No. Right, Terry, off you go. Go on, he's done three hours learning about it. We're experts, <laughs> now. Yeah. And we've listened to him talk about it for twelve seconds. Really. <laughs> That's <laughs> enough. We can chip it. It's more than research that I've done for boxing this weekend. I'll be honest. With Ever. <laughs> <laughs> No? No. Machine learning, did you say? Machine learning. Okay. Scary. Yeah. Uh, Martin, what did you get up to? What have I done? What have I done? I went to see my son play football yesterday. That's good. Nine years old and uh, out in the freezing cold on a Saturday morning. So kids, I'm sure kids play football on Saturdays now? Yeah, yeah. I think they do it in the morning so that if they've got parents who are playing, they can play in the afternoon. Because it used to be Sundays. Uh yeah, mine was always Sunday as a kid, but it's weird. Yeah, nah, it's good. I'm sure there are plenty of people. Bloody out liberals! There. Look at these liberals. Plenty of people out there who can sympathise with getting up with their kids early on a 
Saturday morning, whatever, in the freezing fucking cold. <laughs> um, but at least you saw a really th- warm-up routine. Uh, mate, like, honestly, I know this is a boxing podcast, but I'm going to quickly, like, it's embarrassing. Like, you've got these <laughs> coaches that are warming a team up. You've got, like, 20 minutes before kickoff, and that's it. And they're just lining them up, and they pass the ball in from the side, and the kid comes in and shoots, and then goes to the back of the line. 20 minutes of that. And then... Uh, no rondos, what, nothing. What are you doing? <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I've been out shopping this afternoon with the family, so I'm knackered. We're just boring fuckers. Sorry to all the people listening to this. Nah, I've been, I realize how bad it is. Yeah, how, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go and do something interesting here. Yeah? Next week I'll have more to report. I promise I you I won't. Yeah, that was, uh, I was piss poor. Sorry, guys. So okay. everyone out there hopefully feels better about themselves now because they realise how shitty our weekend <laughs> They were like, wow, I thought my weekend was boring. We read it. How's yours, Andy? You out in the piss? Uh, yeah, went out of uh, a good friend of mine getting smashed. Why not? See, you two ain't got kids. You ought to be out on the smash on Saturday night. I've got yeah. excuses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Is there, whoa, whoa, that, whoa, right? whoa, whoa, whoa. Is there something you want to tell us? What? Yeah, my Martin says there was a, there was a pregnant pause there. There was when Martin <laughs> said you haven't got any kids, and you sort of stopped like. Ugh. No, he says the, uh, I, I was, what I said to I'm him. I'm going to go downstairs and find out. Was Michaela drinking answers. last night? <laughs> Michaela wasn't out with us. Yeah, so she can't drink at the moment. <laughs> no, you're not anywhere near the right. <laughs> um, I watched a a clip of. <laughs> Adrian Broner saying <coughs> saying that he was basically claiming they won the fight. Well, that yes, one, but also in addition, but then the bloke who's interviewing him, he said, <laughs> "Well, if I fought you, I'd beat you ten times." <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant. The guy was like, "In your last seven fights, you've won three, lost three, drawn one." You know? Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> but if I fought you in ten of them, 10 I'd beat you ten and zero. <laughs> <laughs> I should go back. I don't know because did they. Right? I, I don't know. Cause it was, was it Jim Lampley that was doing the interview? Jim Gray. Jim Gray. If Jim Gray's got a decent punch output, I don't fancy Broner's chances. <laughs> yeah. I'll be honest. Well, uh, he kind of mugged him off a little bit, didn't he? But with, with facts, in fair, uh, like, to be fair to him, he says like... There was something uh, else he had to go fight, in for. And then he said, uh, he said uh, I think I won the fight. He goes, well, you only averaged like eight, well, eight punches was your maximum out- output in one round. And he was like... Uh, but I could punch <laughs> you eight times in one round. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, well, I, I think the first thing he said when he first walked up to him was like, yeah, I got some shit to say to you. And then the Jim Gray, whatever his name is, said, um, right, we're going to have this, we're going to conduct this interview in a sensible manner or we're not going to conduct it at all. Again, I had to go back. Has he just bollocked him on camera? But it's very much as the Tesco value Mayweather approach, where Mayweather famously had the altercation in the ring with the interviewer um broner it's a deflection tactic but deflection for what will come on to i guess but you know it's <laughs> rather than accepting that he lost he claimed that he won which... so so you 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 clearly didn't watch it live because no. live they just shut it down oh really yeah they just shut the interview down because you know we needed ronald mcintosh to tell us the watershed had finished at that point or had started I never know if it's starting or finishing but they they couldn't do <laughs> There might be children up at six twenty in the morning. To be fair, yeah, that's likely. I've been oh. up for an hour by then. <laughs> oh wow, that doesn't even seem to make any sense anyway. Because it never, it never is. Well, 
I mean, children could be up at any time, but there's not going to be kids up at like half past 11 when they insist on apologising. So you True. watched it last night on live, yeah. Yeah, so I didn't, right? I recorded it because I thought I'm going to take advantage of this that typically, like, I, I don't have Sky. I normally just stream the fights, basically, um, on IPTV <laughs> using that. Because you're a thief. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but you can't record off of IPTV. Oh, that's a shame. So you either get up or in the morning you're finding it on like Daily Motion or whatever. So I thought last night, brilliant, I can legally record this and then watch it in the morning at my own leisure. Cool. Apart from it overran. And so when you like hit it on the Sky Plus to record something, mm. you record that slot, that schedule on Sky. And I'm not the only one who suffered with this. Come round nine of Michael Broner, it just stopped recording. Because that was the end of its allotted time schedule within what you're recording. And so I had to watch the last three rounds then on Daily Motion. So uh, getting to fight, so what actually happened? Pacquiao won, didn't he? Yeah. So you haven't Com- actually seen the fight then? Nope. Comprehensively won because Broner didn't throw enough punches. Is that pretty much No, 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 no. Not comprehensively won. He, he, he won without a question, but... You know, and this is one of the things that irritates me about stuff like showbox stats. The numbers looked wrong to me. They, they said Brona only connected with 49 punches in the whole fight. And I was like, yeah, I heard that. nah, nah, no chance. So I, 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 didn't, I didn't like that representation of it. To me, it felt a 116-112. It just felt like, you know, and I, I didn't score it round by round. I'm not going to lie. But it just felt around, it felt like an 8-4. The, the, the rounds you could give Brona, but he never, he never made a statement. He never asserted himself. But... I was watching it and I was thinking, he's like a, remember when Volkswagen made that Phaeton, that, that big luxury car with like a big W12 engine? No. Right? So, so, so they did, basically they took all the bits of a Bentley and put them in a Volkswagen saloon, right? So this was meant to be a luxury car. Broner's like a, he's the Phaeton to Christian Late's Passat. <laughs> You didn't think you could get a journeyman at that level. Yeah. But essentially, Broner... <coughs> and, and weight world champ journeyman. And I think he's almost been told his role now, where his role is to enhance real talent. So if you look at what he did with Pacquiao, it was like he was a journeyman and he was boxing because he had a fight the next week. Yeah. Because he, he was... I, whatever people say, he wasn't hurt in that fight. He wasn't uncomfortable in that fight. He just wanted to get the rounds done, take his money and go home. That was the saddest part about that because at any time, Broner could have just flipped and gone after Pacquiao. And I don't think that version of Pacquiao could have lived with a young, strong Broner throwing combinations. No, I'm not. There is no part of me that believes Broner could have won that fight if he wanted to. I, no, I, I genuinely do because I was, I was, nah, wa- I was watching that. that. I was watching that and I said, Pacquiao's just rushing in. Head first. He had one fucking leg up in there half the time he ran in. And all it needed was someone to go, actually, I'm not going to go backwards. I'm going to throw an uppercut up the middle there. And I don't think Pacquiao's got the whiskers for that. But Broner's been doing this for ages. And and, and so that's my point. And that, which is why I said, has he been told this is his role? No, nah, I'm not convinced. I just, I think someone's changed him stylistically from that marauding when he was coming up through the weights. He was a fascinating fighter to watch. But then who... Who's, fascinating. But who's changed him? Because Mike Stafford had him from a kid and Mike Stafford had him through all those phases and it's only recently that Kevin Cunningham's taken over and it's still the same problems. 
So I'm trying to understand where, because I don't know where it's come from. It's because, and and here's the weird thing about all of this. It's it's all these people that do that silly Mayweather pad work, and they put the videos up of them throwing <laughs> a thousand punches in an instant. And then, and it tends to be those guys that have no work rate. So if you go back on that card, Roshin Warren, another example, another guy from the Broner camp who does all the flashy pad work, couldn't let anything go in his world title fight. So you look at that and go, what the hell's going wrong here? Because I'm confident if you had Broner in a sparring session and you said, Broner, I'll give you a million dollars if you can put whoever it is, I'd even put him in with Floyd in a sparring session and you'd see a different guy because people will talk about stuff he's done in sparring and they'll go, he's actually super talented and he's really, really, but then you see him in a fight and you're like, Jesus Christ, this guy's horrible. That's all I could feel. I was like, mate, you are horrible and I really hope you lose this and I hope that Jim Gray goes, mate, why are you so rubbish? Because remember, I don't know if you saw the end of it. So at the end of the fight, actually, no, no, it's the end of round 11. He sits down and he says to Barry Hunter, not Barry Hunter, sorry, Kevin Cunningham. What am I saying Barry Hunter for? Kevin Cunningham, he goes, I won that round, right? I won that round. He, he didn't, but I won won round, right? And he, he sounded strange. It was a strange sort of thing to hear because you're like, mate, just get on with the fight. Like, you know, take it out the judge's hands for fuck's sake. And then you've got Kevin Cunningham going, yeah, yeah. All right, then you won, okay? Are you happy now? It didn't look like a harmonious relationship. Meanwhile, the guy he should have probably had in his corner, Barry Hunter, he doesn't work with anymore. So but I can't say he's wasting his talent because Broner hasn't shown us anything beyond I can win a vacant title. He's, yeah. got, that, he's got that bell eunice to him. You know, that he'd be a perfect matchroom fighter. Funny he takes a piss out of Hearn, but Hearn would have got him world title shot after world title shot after world title shot. But do you think when he turned back, remember back to when he turned down that Jay-Z offer? <laughs> the Rock Nation money. How much was it? Like $50 million or something they were going to pay Up him front, for? guaranteed. Yeah, yeah. Don't get me wrong, I'm sure he earned all right last night. Was it two and a half million dollars? Um guarantee and then plus presumably some form of pay-per-view revenue um is it, but yeah like what's happened to that adrian broner that came up maybe it was just that he was so kindly gifted titles beating up on gavin reese to defend it or but he was a big guy then so at 130 broner was huge at 135 broner was bigger than most people and he was stronger than most people at 140 it starts to balance out now so you could be a guy throwing, you, so he could connect eight times in a round at 130 pounds and the other guy would feel every one of those. At 147 pounds at welterweight, you're, hit, you're hitting guys who are naturally bigger than you normally and they're just going to take those shots and keep moving. So all of a sudden, the time he needs to up his work rate, he's actually reducing his work rate. And you know, I don't know how you fix that because in the whole fight, he only had one plan and his plan was to catch to catch Pacquiao with the left hook over his jab, which relied on impeccable timing, which he nearly got. And then to counter the Pacquiao jab also with his backhand. And you're like, okay, fine. That's good for a plan A. But when you see Pacquiao rushing in head first, have a plan B that says, I'm just going to hit him with the uppercut because he's open for it every time he rushes in. It, I, I've lost... 
so I've lost interest in Brona. I just want to see who they feed him to next now. It's, it's like that, you know, sometimes you, you watch some of these blood sports and you go, just, just someone see. take him out. Yeah. Just, just put, put him out of his misery. Yeah. Because we can't believe he has another chance in him now because look, you can almost see what they'll do with him next. He'll be fed to someone like Amir Khan or they'll feed him to Keith Thurman. And they go, okay, here's a fight for you. He's just he's just going to get smashed from pillar to post. But it's it's going to be sad see, to watch. Let's see what they'll do with Pacquiao next. Like, <laughs> Pacquiao, he's on a roll, isn't he? Like, don't get me wrong, he's not fighting the best in the division. But he's still on a roll at the moment. So he's taken out uh, Vargas, Matisse, Broner. He's, he's bubbling along in that way that says... Maybe Floyd's not done yet. Where they just like keep giving him these fights, and I'm going to decide if I want to come back or not. Yeah, just looking it up, Timothy Bradley, Jesse Vargas lost to Jeff Horn, beat Matisse, beat Broner. That's a legit welterweight resume there. That's since he lost to Floyd Mayweather, when it was assumed that he was pretty much done with the sport. Is that sort of an indictment of that division, or is that? Um, no. Is that a, a, um, proof that he's sort of coming to a second wind at the end of his career? Yeah, second wind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you can't. I mean, it's pointless bringing that up, isn't it? Because everyone's there's enough gonna have rumors. A second yeah. wind. Um, you, you struggle to find someone nowadays that isn't surrounded by those sorts of things. So. But he's still got that same style that he's had. Someone who's not wind assisted. <laughs> Yeah, he's still got that same ability that he had. It's just there are question marks as to how he's still got the engine to match or or to keep that style and that ability. But but he's not hurtful uh, anymore. No, no, he's not. You remember when Pacquiao was like <laughs> that? Pacquiao that fought Cotter would have savage bro. That wouldn't have gone six rounds. Yeah, and there was a one. Was it round six? Was it where he pinned him in the corner with what about forty seconds left in the round? Yeah, uh, and then just unloaded on him. And at no point did you think Broner's in trouble here. No. Like, he wobbled in with the first shot, which is when Broner backed up. And then Broner held on with, like, 15 seconds to go. And then, 50, like, five seconds to go, he managed to hold on again. But he wasn't holding on because he was going to fall over. He was just holding on because... <laughs> get through the rounds. The rounds moved, nearly over. Has he moved the load from power to work rate? He's always had the work rate, but he used to have the power with it. Now he's got the work rate still, but the power... Or the timing, or whatever it was that he was reliant upon, just it's not there. Um, and you, you can't put him in with someone like an Errol Spence, because Spence has that work rate, and Spence is big, and Spence will just savage you to the body. And I don't think you know those sorts of guys, the Spencers, the Thurmans, the Porters, would be horrible for Pacquiao. So I don't think he's at that level. But I can see him being, you know, you could whack him in with Amir Khan. That's another money fight they could generate yeah. something from. They're, they're, that's what I just sense Pacquiao's doing what he needs to do to pay off the tax bill he had the power when he fought Matisse over in uh, the Philippines didn't he when when the testing would have been somewhat more lenient but, <laughs> but he was fighting in his own country but I think we've also <laughs> we, we also forget Matisse is somewhat overcooked as well oh absolutely you know, Matisse is like an Anthony Crawler do you know where you just you sit back and you go I don't know where you got this reputation from I just genuinely don't. It's it, you know, it, 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 it's the four boxing forum crew 
who who ascribe you know saintlyhood on guys like this, which confuses the life out of me. Harry Winks, ninety minutes plus three, two one Spurs. Oh, get in, absolutely get in. Right. <laughs> Has that helped your accumulator, Terry? Mate, I'm in a bad way. Fiorentina let me down, so I'm hoping I'm hoping I can get something on the quads. <laughs> I don't understand all that. I don't understand all that. But I think. <laughs> As much as we complain about pay-per-views over here, I wouldn't be happy if I was an American pay-per-view buyer. I'll be honest. Like, it's great that we got it for free over here in the UK. And we got the whole thing, like four and a half, five hours worth. It wasn't just like we got the main fight. Um, but if I was in America, would I be happy that a kind of washed up Pacquiao beating a, an under-arsed Broner on pay-per-view? <laughs> but the amount of pay-per-views that we get, it's going to be like, there's going to be people that they're going to interview no. in the street and they're shaking. It's like, I lost everything because of the what? pay-per-views, man. <laughs> no, wait, wait. I, I started off with one pay-per-view and then I was bu- suddenly I was buying Pacquiao Brona. I just didn't know what was going on. But but here's, here's the thing that, 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 that grates with me. We, we always complain about pay-per-views based on the main event. But if you look at that card as a complete body of work, you wouldn't get that in the UK. So you've got... I get that. So you had the Rashim Warren, you had the Marcus Brown, Badu Jack. You, you had legitimate... So if you look at those three fights, I know the one before was a bit of a shocker, but you look at the three fights that topped that bill. Two Olympians fighting for a world title. Uh, one one guy was the next world champion. You then <laughs> had... But their bantamweights that didn't enter the World Boxing Super Series. Well, they're super flyweights. So the super flyweights who have moved up to bantamweight. So I don't, you, I don't know if you, you, when they did the World Boxing Super Series, those guys weren't recognised. One eighteen fighters, they were one fifteen guys. Yeah, but I think we've said before about fights over here that are bantamweight. They're cheap fights to make. Yeah, but we're looking at the fight from a quality perspective, right? You're not getting that in the UK, so you're not getting Rashi. I've Warren. seen Jamie McDonald, Stuart Hall. I've seen it. That's fucking pay per view quality, brother. So 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 yeah. So you had. Two, two sets of Olympians fighting each other. Yeah, Badu Jack, two-weight world champion. Marcus Brown, who I think we've touted on here before as being probably one of the scariest people at 175. And, you know, that's your classic passing of the torch type fight, which was fair enough. And then you had Pacquiao Broner. That's a good, fun, entertaining fight. And you would have thought if Broner had shown up to fight, that would have been a pretty entertaining fight. I don't think you can... Criti- it's not something I'd criticise. Broner hasn't turned up to fight in ages. I don't think it's one I'd criticise on the Friday before. I'd have said, that. if Hearn can have his pay-per-views, I can accept this as a pay-per-view. But luckily, I get this for free. And I'm not going to complain about the fact that young kids can watch that calibre of boxing for absolutely nothing. Yeah, it's brilliant. Over here, it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant, 100%. If I was American, I may not be so happy with it. But I'm sure they say the same when they get Chisora White for free or whatever. They probably go, it's brilliant. We get this for free. Um, okay. Bear in mind what you've just said. Chisora White, Pacquiao Broner, just the weight those names carry. I know. I know. We get shafted in this country. <laughs> uh, let's move on to Badu Jack Marcus Brune. Brown, Andy, is it ha- Craig Brown's like nephew? Marcus Brown, Andy, have you seen the cut Badu Jack suffered? It looked like a vagina on his forehead. <laughs> it was horrendous. No, it's oh, poor dude. It, 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 it it's one of the most shocking cuts I've seen in a boxing bout. Yeah, yeah, 
and how he carried on. Like, before we even touch on the fight, how he had the bollocks to carry on through that fight. Because it happened the first time and it wasn't so bad. And then Brown seemed to clip him with a shot yeah. and it just went, bing. It was horrible. And not even, like, how bad the cut was, but the impact that then had on Badu Jack through the fight. So you just see him with his glove up to his eye, like, trying to take away the blood. Oh. A mask of blood down his face. Disgusting. (laughs) It does it like a... This is a coin slot in his head. (laughs) That's absolutely horrendous. Yeah. But it doesn't just look like a vagina. It looks like the vagina of a 35-year-old slag who's like been through so much of the world. Oh. (laughs) Oh. So graphic. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, man, that is hideous. Watch it unless you're about to eat. Uh, Sorry, watch it. Have, look it up unless you're about to eat. Oh, so if you if you'd asked me about that fight beforehand, I said I was like, God, that's going to be really competitive. We're going to find out who Marcus Brown really is, and I don't know if we find out who Marcus Brown really is or if we find out who Badu Jack really isn't. Because even before the cut, he was chasing shadows. Yeah, they were, So when they did the tail of the tape. They said Badu Jack was six foot and a half and Marcus Brown was six foot one. When you saw them next to each other, the size difference was vast. Like Brown just looks huge at that weight. He, he he's like, I don't even know how to describe it. There's a basketball player called Dwight Howard, right? And Dwight Howard is known for just having really freaky proportions. Yeah, he's a six foot 11 guy and his shoulders are about 10 foot wide. And but Brown had that same thing and he had these long spindly legs that kept him mobile. And it looked like Badu Jack just couldn't figure it out. Jack did his standard um, standing within punching distance, which keeps you thinking all the time, but not always throwing, which is it's that threat that you're there, but you're not throwing. But he couldn't take advantage of it against Brown like he could against a, a DeGale. And Brown's footwork was beautiful. Like, every time Jack would come forward... Brown was just gone. Out of the way. Out of the way. I do think Weeks should have probably taken that point earlier. But the the holding. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that that You can see that was frustrating, Jack. You, you know, if the ref lets you do it, it's a clever thing to do because you nullify his work. But it just it just took all the confidence away from Jack. And Jack looked 35 in that fight. And you know, sometimes it just happens to you where... He's what, had some wars, hasn't he, to be fair? Yeah. He, 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 one, one time your body just goes we've probably given it our best shot now. And you could see Marcus Brown wasn't going to be denied. Like that, that, that was his time and he stepped up. And this is another thing I like about what the PBC do. You know, I don't think Matcham would have done that. Matcham would have sent Badu Jack up one path, Marcus Brown up another path to maximize revenue. But Badu Jack would have been kept around the world title level, not been fighting an up and coming lad for an eliminator for world title level. But they know that Brown's special and he needed that level of win to demand a world title shot. You now can't say to him, you don't deserve it. Because that's that's as big a name you're going to get on your record as you can. It's and- great. You don't really see that, do you, very often? Is ex-world champions that are still at a legitimate level fighting upcoming prospects but that's the sort of thing you don't overhear no you don't it's not it's not a very british thing to do but i think because al's model is don't worry if you lose you get looked after 
So, so if Badu Jack wants to fight again, they'll find him a fun, entertaining fight that the fans will get excited about. Rebuild if he wants to, and he can, he he'll be looked after. Um, but with with that cut though, can you come back? It was. Have you seen the stitching of it as well? No. Ah, oh, the stitching is so long, like longer than what you'd imagine looking at the cut. It's like most of his forehead. It's awful. But no, it was tough for me to watch. People know I'm a big Badu Jack fan. I think he's had one of those careers where you can class him as a massive overachiever, you know, overlooked by the Swedish amateur system for the 2008 Olympics. So ended up boxing for Gambia. You know, who did they send instead? Did they send Kennedy Katende or Babakar Kamara? I can't even remember. But from that, he's managed to build a career where he's had the fights he's had. But then there's another part of me that then says, how good was he really? Or you now have to start looking at guys like James the Gale and going, how bad was he? If if this is what Marcus Brown can do to Badu Jack, and like, we'll, you know, let's ignore the size and the weight for a second and let's look at... And Groves, don't forget he... Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, you know, George is different. But, but to be fair, in the... In the Groves-Jack fight, I think Groves had the better of most of those rounds. It's just that he was careless enough to get dropped or that would have been a win for George. But with DeGale, like DeGale got beaten up. Like <laughs> beaten up. Like smashed from pillar to post. Yeah, he also had his own successes in it. It wasn't a one-way hiding. No, but you saw the two faces at the end of that fight. Oh, definitely. I'm not saying he didn't get yeah. beaten up. He did get beaten up, but and, he also gave a beating to go and, with it. And if you look at what ended up happening with, with like sort of DeGale, and you go, those two guys were in the same bracket for the Olympics. And one won the gold medal, one didn't. And then when they fought, see what happened. That's testament to that work ethic Jack had packing up in Sweden and going over to America because he believed in himself. So... If he doesn't box again, he's had a hell of a career. If he does box again, I just want to see him in fun fights. And yeah. that's my thing this year. I don't want to hear people bitching about, oh, he's only fighting so-and-so. Once you've done enough to get in the Hall of Fame, fight who the hell you want. If you want to fight a Japanese kickboxer, go and do that. You've earned it at that point. You know, because remember people gave Miguel Cotto a hard time for his last three or four fights. But he was Hall of Fame before that. You know, let 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 him have some fun in the sport that he loves without people always having to criticize on social media. Go, oh, he's not fighting the person I want him to fight. Who the fuck are you? You fat beer bellied piece of shit. Who are you? Fuck's <laughs> sake. No, but, I but, knew he was coming. He was winding himself up. No, but, but, but it's real though. Who are, who are these people to tell someone who to fight? He already gave you the fights you asked for. Now he's like, can I just have some fun fights? Let me go and, you know, swing it out with someone and have some fun. No, you got to fight another world title or I don't take you seriously. It's the same people like, you know, when they talk about Mayweather and they want Mayweather to come back <laughs> and they only want him to come back to take a loss. That's it. Floyd, we want you to come back. Why? Because you need to take a loss. We don't like the fact that you came into the sport and left the sport on your own terms and undefeated. We don't like that because we can only hate you for... You know, if we don't hate you because of your race, we hate you because you're rich. We want to hate you because you lost. And we can't do that until you lose. So come back. <laughs> I want him to just go and actually go and retire instead of taking he, wank fights in Japan. Well, no, no, no. Wait, wait, wait. No, he's retired. Like, he's retired. 
like Pacquiao said it in his post-fight interview, when Floyd comes back to boxing, we can talk about a fight. Floyd's not in boxing. He's just in the entertainment. In the business. same way Andre Ward's retired and then Joe Gallagher complains Ooh. that like, <laughs> I love that. oh, he just wants too much money to fight Callum Smith. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know we discussed this the other week, yeah, but like yeah. if Floyd's retired, cool. Like if someone can raise $50 million, then he'll probably come back. But otherwise, he'll just go around doing what the fuck he wants. A He's bit of novelty. for silly money. Actually, doesn't box anymore, you <laughs> dick. Oh, no, on a side note, though. <laughs> on, on, on a DeGale side note. Remember he dropped the belt to avoid... <laughs> Who's the guy? <laughs> Caleb Planton. <laughs> I know. Now, I like Caleb Plant. I think I said it at the time. Not only for his choice of shirts, but I just like how he lives. He's... He's got that sort of understated scumbagness to him that I like. <laughs> Interesting way. Interesting but but you looked at that and you go, DeGale vacated his title because he was scared of this guy. It, the risk didn't justify the reward, as they like to say. I think, to be fair, if he didn't drop that title, he wouldn't be able to take the Chris Eubank pay-per-view fight. Yeah. That, that his fight was ordered for last year. He would have still been able to do this year. Now, if he had lost, yeah, I, I can understand the sense in why he dropped it with the aim of taking Chris Eubank pay per view. I can a lot more money in it. You, well, no, no, but but we almost say, he fought before the Eubank Junior fight. If you remember, he fought in Defying Canada. Yeah, he did. It was a really obscure. So, so, so it wasn't that he, he he didn't want to risk anything. He he did. He fought. Yeah, he did. But he didn't fight somebody who at the time was deemed to be of the same level of Usta guy. Well, Caleb, this is what I mean. Caleb Plant, who no one really we didn't know who he was, was like, well, I'll fight him. And 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 this is what I mean about. There are levels in the sport, and sometimes you've got to be critical about who someone really is. I get that entirely, but DeGale didn't need to take that risk. Caleb Plant is a great opportunity, so he'll take the risk. DeGale didn't need to if he knew that come next year he was going to be having Chris Eubank Jr. presumably earn, I don't know, three million quid or whatever to go and take that fight. I can understand why he did it. But to me, it just, you know, especially when we as, as fans sometimes say, World titles are meaningless. It's the fights that make sense. No, 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 no. Wait, wait, no, no, no. Yeah, wrestling internally, I can see it twisting. His no, because because my thing is because my thing at the time was you're really going to just blatantly swerve at any point. You could have vacated that belt. You knew you had to fight this guy afterwards. Like, I mean, be honest and go. I don't want to fight this guy. And then that plant fight could have happened a lot sooner. Or you could have fought Caleb Plant. What was when incredibly funny is that he lost the belt to Truax, went to the effort of winning it back. Exactly. To then just <laughs> to go, I don't want it. decide he didn't want it. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to fight my mandatory. <laughs> just don't bother winning it back, James. <laughs> but I do wonder though, so what will happen if he, would he fight Caleb Plant if he beats Eubank Jr.? Hmm. I don't know. I think he fight Groves. I think, you know where we're talking, or you're saying earlier about fighters are getting on and... I don't think DeGale's got a Hall of Fame CV by any means. But he's getting to that age where if he just... If he beat Eubank Jr. and then the Groves fight was on offer, who's really going to resent the two of them from cashing out on it? I'd do it. I, I won't pay for it. Like, my thing in 2019 is I'm not buying any tickets. 
And I've told people, don't buy any, stop buying boxing tickets. That's my campaign for 2019. <laughs> so not only you not buying them, but you're going to campaign actively. Stop buying boxing stop- tickets. I'll give people 60 quid. Like, well, honestly. I, I plan on going to every single boxing match this year. So With Terry just- 60 quid each. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so if you just refund me in advance for the tickets that I won't be buying. <laughs> No, no, listen. I'm going to go to every single boxing match. Like, what, are you going to go to the one in Chester and the one in London the same night? Yeah, Terry. <laughs> so, and then, and, then and I was, <laughs> was going to go ringside for both of them. So, <laughs> just photos like that Tom Zanetti stood next to a helicopter. <laughs> I'm off. <laughs> Jobs worth bastards. It is so 2019. I think we all need to ask ourselves what are we consuming in this? Because because last year hurt me a lot. I'm not going to lie. I don't need to rehash the issues we discussed last year, but it hurt me a lot. And I said I'm going to stop buying these tickets because you're not giving me what I want. Now, if someone says, "Oh, you got to help a boxer live," I'll give you the money. Yeah, I'll give you the money not to box. There you go. I'll give you the money not to waste your time in a piss poor venue fighting someone I've never heard of before and then you just having to post up shit of yourself running every morning. Like, I don't know that you run. You know? And let, let's just... So your your other campaign is paying people to not box? Well, I'd sooner... No, no. I say, I'd sooner give you the money not to box than to give you the money to box. Maybe that that's what we've got now, just anti-boxing. <laughs> What, what do you do, mate? I'm an anti-boxer. Basically, I'm so terrible. Terry pays me to not box, mate. <laughs> it makes a good living, to be fair. Like half the Did people... I'll tell you, I'm getting, I'm getting my license soon. Yeah, me too. I'm not oh, only... Nice. Not only am I going to all the boxing shows, but I'm also going to... Not only could you want all of them. <laughs> it's going to make me some tasty brothers. Because, <laughs> you know, because people said to me, are you going to watch this Eubank versus DeGale fight? And I was like, I'm not buying a ticket for that. It, it, it's it's what we have, it's they want to make money from it that's fine find suckers to pay for it I I will happily theobold the shit out of that film uh, <laughs> yeah I will just be sat there at home watching it going I'm glad I'm glad I'm not there I'm honestly glad I'm not there because you bang versus come on man no you, I don't like watching Groves victims it's not good no one's ever the same after Groves has dealt with him so. I mean, you guys go and do it. But honestly, if you get to the end of this year, I know Rob Martin's listening to this. You get to the end of this year and you've blown the best part of eight, nine hundred quid. And you're like, I haven't seen one title, but from one of these guys I bought tickets from. Don't say I didn't warn you. Um, Okay, let's move on then to, where do you want to go? Dillian White? I paid 60 quid not to. Wait, um, do we need, trying to think, just on that PBC thing. Right. Next week we've got Thurman's comeback. That's a that's free a, on ITV. This is a, this is incredible, isn't it? You, I know. You, you get you get you get boxing on the nineteenth. You get boxing on the twenty sixth. You're getting high high stat like big names. These aren't fucking Eddie Hearn rehashes. Trying to there's no spin required on this. You notice how there's no spin required on a PBC card. Yeah. You know what you're getting. You're not saying anything about the ITV thing cutting off where like it cut off at round nine. I'm not even raging about that. I'm not even angry about it. I had like four hours worth of free boxing before that, but I could pick or choose to watch. But it's their first one that they've done. I hope they overcome that because I know people that recorded the program after it as well. So that if that happened, they would still be able to pick up both 
both elements of it. But that didn't work. Right, I was about um, to ask you that. Yeah. So it's like there's a blind spot somewhere within the recording whereby that one ended, that one started. They don't necessarily correlate with one another. Um, but whatever, like it's the first time ITV have done that, and I'm sure there are limitations to how skyboxes record the start and end of programs. Sky so- cock blocking. <laughs> like you normally stream this, you prick. Right. I'm not going to record this. Um, so yeah, it's uh, I'm not angry at ITV for that. They've given me this for free. They give me it next weekend for free. So that yeah, that's like- I'm cool with it. Like even if it means I have to catch the last three rounds of it on. Uh, you know, on my phone or whatever, because I can't be asked to link it all up to the TV for three rounds. I'm okay with that, deep down. So, North Bank Bren asked, "Is Al Heyman currently the best?" Boxing- I'm answering this question. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, 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 and I'm going to put it out there, right? <laughs> like, you, no, no. Look, it's, it's it's not like a fucking insurance panel here. It's not like go compare. And you can just, you can just ask five different podcasts the same question and compare answers. So I'm not answering that question. <laughs> if you, honestly, if you have a question for me based on the content that comes out of this show, I'm on top of that, no, honestly. No, that's be for us, not for you. There's two rules yeah. now. Um, yeah. Two rules around question making. <laughs> yeah, you can't direct your question to a specific person. That was made perfectly yeah. clear when... There was refusal to answer a question that had been asked to a specific member. I can't remember. No, refusal to ask the question. I was going to acknowledge it was made. Um, and then, and now, sweeping questions. That <laughs> we're, not, we're, not, we're not doing the go compare thing, man. We're not. No, if there's a question for the New Age Boxing Podcast based on our content, based on what we do, fine. We'll answer it. But, nah, come on, man. It's... <laughs> go on. There's something is, horrible. It's not, <laughs> it's not North Bank Bren will take it. it. No, it's, it's we met him. He's all right. He's a good lad. No, it's, it's not something horrible. It's just more, don't be lazy. Do you know what I mean? Like, we we take time out of our schedule to to do stuff like this. So, I mean, like, you know, you have to, there's a certain level of credit. You've got to, are those Roman blinds? I have no idea. They are, yeah. Nice. I was putting some up yesterday, so I know about it. Yeah, so yeah, mine are white, <laughs> yours are black, but you know, yeah, but no, no, look, honestly, just address questions to this podcast that require a podcast answer. You know, the other guys could decide what they want to do with their questions, fair play, but <laughs> or, or I'll give you a word of advice just tweet it to me separately, and I won't know that you've done it to the others because I'm not, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that smart. <laughs> so, we're not answering that question. <laughs> Rule number two now around questioning, we'll build up like an entire. Entire rule book on it. Um, like Robert Greene's 48 Laws of Podcasting. Is Al Heyman doing a better job? No, you can't get around it. <laughs> North Bank Bren. <laughs> I tried. Okay, have we got any more about Al Heyman? Well, a question for the, uh, from, from Carl Chapman. Why is Broner so financially viable? Genuinely feel like this was a tune-up fight for someone who should have retired five years ago. It's weird, isn't it, really? Like, what has Broner done to be worthy of a pay-per-view shot? Because you remember when... Whoa, 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 whoa. You're, you're a Eubank Jr. fan. Oh, I agree, I, completely. I, I, I'd put them both... They're, they're both in that same category. But at least Eubank Jr. go... Like, by the end of the fight, I feel like Eubank Jr. has at least tried. He leaves that fight with a sweat on. <laughs> I'm not convinced Broner has. Um, and that's the weird thing about it, isn't it? Yeah, no, it is. It, it genuinely is. That so You get to the end and you think he could probably do another 12 rounds right now. But maybe that's what he thought. 
<laughs> maybe he thought he was getting Floyd maybe and Maybe he had Jimmy Mack in the corner. He's an 18-man fighter. Beautiful, 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 um, Aid. Ain't he? Beautiful. Do you remember when Frank Warren was criticising uh, White Chisora as a pay-per-view and he was talking about the number of losses on their records? Like, If we look at how many losses are on Broner's record and Pacquiao's record... like I've, t- I've said it before, pay-per-view is not necessarily about all that stuff that the boxing uh, Twitter artists like to talk shit about. It's not. It's... How meaningful is the fight? Which, well, how meaningful and how entertaining will it be? But that's where my issue is with last night. Is that it wasn't really a meaningful fight because Broner's sullied his own career at the moment. And it wasn't entertaining. Which you can only judge after, after a fight, yeah, which it, is difficult. It's, but it's like, do you remember when they told you there's going to be a third Gatti Ward? <laughs> and you were just like, I'm watching that. Yeah. I, I do not care. Even if it's 60% of what the first fight was, I am watching that. Because you knew you were going to get whatever money you'd pay to go to that show, you were getting your money's worth. Which kind of how Chisora White came about. Which is why I was supportive of that fight. Because I knew I'd get my money's worth. Yeah. Um, almost like pay-per-view becomes an, a viable channel for the sluggers. If you're a slugger with a chip, <laughs> you can be pay-per-view. The only people who rely on belts and other bullshit that's irrelevant are the guys who don't like to get involved in wars. You know? And I, know, uh, I know we've got more channels now than we ever have done showing boxing, but is it fair to say that there's always been proportionally good boxing and shite boxing? Yeah. So is it... it but the way that you... Uh, certainly the way that you've sort of described how you're feeling about boxing at the moment... It's coming across as though you feel it's like there's certain uh, poor boxing is endemic across the sport at no, the moment. It's Martin dressed as lamb. So I'll go back, go back to that. I thought you said Martin dressed as lamb at first. That's really weird. <laughs> but quite there's tasty. A if a man cannot dress as lamb in someone else's house, what is this world coming to? <laughs> if you turned up dressed as a lamb, like some sexy underwear, the door not even something. an adult sheep. You've come as a baby. <laughs> Evening, guys. <laughs> what the fuck? It's lambing season. <laughs> no, so so milk the lamb. No, so 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 if you look at it from first principles, Andy, right, <laughs> right, you, you right. You guys need a minute? <laughs> We're laughing about wanking. Wanking <laughs> a lamb as well. Human. You know you guys are gonna get you guys are gonna right. get tweets like really like the boxing content, laddish behaviour kind of ruins the podcast, yeah, you guys. Yeah. Sort uh, it out. Yeah, I'm here for those people, don't worry. <laughs> I know I'm not on there anymore, so nah, good on you. Good on you. So peaceful. Hiatus. But no, look, so my issue with boxing is it's mutton dressed as lamb. You go back ten years ago when Frank Warren, Frank Maloney were doing their shows in the York Hall and you had guys like Davy Stewart boxing John Thraxton and oh, stuff. Nightmare. You knew, you knew what you were getting wasn't what the Americans were showing. You knew what you were getting was was just pie and gravy boxing, right? That's what it was. It was a bunch of guys with beer bellies sat there talking about how they could have been a contender. You knew what you were getting, right? And you're like, fine. Okay, that's British boxing, whatever. There'll be a few guys who stand out. And you had guys like David Hay who took it to another level. And then Hearns come and Hearns said, I want to move that away from the, the grubby working men's club feel that a lot of small hall boxing has. 
to something a bit smoother. And we always forget the early Hearn shows weren't that great. You know, he didn't. He he had guys like Lee Purdy and guys like Wadi Camacho. He didn't have superstars to begin with. They came later. So Hearn's moved it progressively into this space where it's about the occasion, not necessarily about the fights. And people buy into. It. <coughs> but that was but, kicked off through the front era, wasn't it? It was, uh, you know, you were the prize fighter stuff. Yeah, prize fighter was just your call. Yeah, and and so what's happened is what Hearn's done up here. Guys are trying to filter down here. And and it's noble, but if you go back to what I said before, it's about price points. I refuse to believe every small hall show is of the same quality that I need to be paying the same price for all of them. And I don't know how you resolve that because it has to be reflective in what it is you're showing. Because ultimately, it limits what fights can be made at your hall, right? Because there's a certain economic limit you'll have unless you bump the prices up. So let's pick an example. Who's the biggest name on Goodwin's stable right now? What now? Waddy? Nicola Adams. She's still boxing? Well, she she got that, that woman with her in Thailand. <laughs> she's got a world title fight. I've in, never uh, oh, Royal Albert Hall. Yeah. Royal Albert Hall. Okay. But she doesn't box on Goodwin's shows, right? No. Okay. But with the, of the, all the people Steve could get on his show to fight, it'd be, it'd be Waddy right now. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So if you put Waddy in with, let's make it interesting. Fuck it, put him in with Usyk, right? Two Southpaws, 50-50 fight. <laughs> you know? 60-40, Waddy. Yeah. People, look, people write Waddy off in that fight, but he's got a puncher's chance. <laughs> no, no. But I love Waddy, by the way. Yeah. It's isn't abusing him. No, so it's, it's to illustrate a point. If you had Camacho against Usyk on a York Hall show, you'd have to whack the prices up because there's only a fixed capacity that York Hall would fit. And so... There's a limit to what you can do on the small hall in your call. There's there's certain fights you couldn't make, not because they don't make sense. It's just the economics don't work. And I think it's how do you do that differential pricing? So some of these fights can happen. So if Steve wanted to make Lawrence versus Wadi at your call, would there be a model by which you could do that? And yeah, go, I mean that's yeah, and take the forty quid out. Take the Look, 60 so there's out. there's um. There's other income streams you have to look at. So, for instance, yeah. I know for 100% fact, Steve was putting in a bid for Matty Askin versus Lawrence Acoli. So, if that went to purse bids, Steve was going to bid for that and put it on at Tottenham Green Leisure Centre. And the value he was going to bid is six figures. 100% true. <laughs> What that that, that 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 place with the green with the blue walls? Yep, the one where he looked like a serial killer in every photograph. <laughs> he was going to put on Lawrence Cody versus Matty Askin, if, and there was a lot of talk that was organised to avoid going to purse bids. Okay, but but why was he going to do it there? Because your call wasn't available for the dates he wanted. He had shows coming up there. I guarantee you. See, no. I believe- so you had a backer. Yeah, there was a financial backer available that could have put the money in to do that. And then you would hope that, you know, you sell the place out, you maybe have to raise the price point of the ticket and you get sponsorship in for the show. You know, basically you're investing to get a fight that will hopefully reclaim some money back. But there was somebody who was willing to put some money into the pot to... Yeah, and, and so and and so this is my challenge. It's how do you how do you do that and go... There's a certain card I can make here, but I can't do 40, 60, 100. 
there's a certain card I can do here. I'm not shifting anything at 40. But just think Joshua would have had to have gone there with a Coley <laughs> to top them green legends. <laughs> Is that why he did it? Is that why he was like, dude, I want to bid for this and have all these guys have to sit in shitty Tottenham because it will just be worth it for Steve Goodwin to be in every media outlet as for the, a guy for that- the bants. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then moving on. Is Dillian White leaving Matchroom? <sighs> Should we give some meat to this? Yes. So Dillian White um, as per most matchroom fighters, doesn't work on a contract basis. So he works on a fight by fight basis with matchroom. Um, which, of course, there's a danger that that fighter might walk away. So there's no long term commitment to matchroom. But um, so he's come out this week and he was offered the Joshua fight for money that he says is less than he earned to fight Derek Chisora. So he said, like, You've lowballed me, basically. Like I'm fighting for this unified world title fight, and you're paying me less than when I fought Derek Chisora at the O2. Um, and so we'll talk about. I think there's a wider conversation about that, but just focusing on White and and Matchroom. So he goes over to America this week, and he's photographed at all the and interviewed at the PBC stuff that's going on this week. They're asking what are you doing over here. Um, and he kind of just drops into conversation about the fact that, well, you know, whilst I'm here, I might as well have some meetings with people that are relevant. Um, so I might well meet up with, like, the PBC folk. And he said, basically, look, my contract's up. I'm not with Matt. Well, I don't have a contract with Matchroom, and I'm free to go anywhere that I want. So whether it's just posturing because the offer's so low from Matchroom, whether it's building the hype for match so it might well be that say hypothetically there could already be a joshua fight that's agreed because we know that this wwe storyline stuff is quite popular within common yeah yeah okay um the point of nauseam sometimes yeah so look hypothetically you could say joshua white is already signed for april so to start building that, let's have White come out and say that offer was really low. I'm not happy about this. I'm going off to America and I'm going again. And so suddenly the American outlets start picking up that he's over a PBC show. And so he gets linked to them and that starts creating headlines about Dillian White over in America as much as over here. And so it starts building his profile a little bit more. And then he could come back and just fight Joshua in April. I don't actually think that's the case at all. I think he probably it's was. That's a lot of legwork for... But to make money? Yeah. Well, we know they like making money. Um, I don't think Dillian's a guy... He's not really much of a puppet, though, is he? He's not, but on the other hand, it would make a lot of money. I don't think that's the case. I'm not saying that's the case. I actually think he was probably offered a lowball money by Hearn and probably but, wants to go out and look at what, what his options saying, are. You wouldn't dismiss, like... I wouldn't, the fact that it's, it is you in some way orchestrated. You can't rule out that it's a ruse of some sort. <laughs> but but I, So I look at that and I go, he's the, he's the difference between there being a real Cold War in the heavyweight division and there not being. Because if he's on the matchroom side, that gives Hearn three options, right? He's got Joshua, he's got Miller, and he's got White, you know? You know, there are other names, but these are guys we can say will operate at world level. If Dillian goes over to the PBC side, that puts him in the mix with... Brazil. Wilder Fury Brazil. 
So all of a sudden you've got four there. You've got Jarrell Miller, who's not on a defined fight contract with Matchroom or DAZN. Does he come over to the side and go, actually, this is where all the action is? And all of a sudden Joshua gets frozen out and is just left having to fight various forms of European trash. And we've seen that Fury is more likely to work with PBC than he is Matchroom. So, so it's an interesting point because... You know, Andy's trying to shove a microphone in my mouth. This is very, <laughs> very need... Euro porn. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but so, I, so I look at I look at it from this perspective. There's only so much Dillian can negotiate on his own behalf before you need that external support. Remember, we talked about this when Chisora went with Hay, and we said sometimes you just need you need someone that can squeeze an extra twenty percent out of a situation that looks dead. And maybe having Al Heyman there means you can do a different kind of deal. It seems, you know, because you, you have to work with Al if you want to have world champions across any weight class. He, Heyman's involved in everything. So you can you do a different kind of deal. If you're just Dillian White on your own, you don't have that negotiating heft behind you of saying, look, I've got all of these fighters. So, you know, let's do a deal now. We can do another deal later on for someone else. So it would be it would be good for him. I but I, what's clear, like Matchroom have done a fantastic job with Dillian White. Nobody can doubt that at all. No, well, Dillian's done a fantastic job. Dillian White has done a fantastic job in the ring. He's done a fantastic job outside yeah. the ring. But people that have invested in Dillian White's career, Matchroom have done a good job for him. They've match made for him well. They're taking him from the Joshua loss, but then building him back up for, uh, I just look back at the Lucas Brown, the Joseph Parker, the two Chisora fights. They're good bits of matchmaking and that's great. But it's almost like, I tweeted this the other day, it's like, remember when Neymar left Barcelona because he's never going to be the best within that. He's never going to be the, the headline man. maker. Yeah, It's like he's got a, a ceiling that he's reached yeah. through not being able to be the number one that actually... I still want to be the number one in the world, but I'm not going to be able to do it here. I've got to go somewhere else. And maybe that's where his mindset is, is that actually I can't achieve everything I want to achieve if I'm underneath Joshua's name. Maybe I can do that if I look somewhere else. Going back to what we've spoken about before in terms of um, boxers' mentalities, do you think White thinks he can beat AJ? Yes, yep. Milliamson, absolutely. Then... Okay, then why I'm not take the fight at low money, get the belt, and then demand high money next Exa- time? Words out of my mouth. No. Well, but, but why should you? What, what if it goes? What, what if something goes wrong? What if your knee pops? No, I, look, I, I 100% yeah. get that. Why should you undervalue yourself? The problem that Hearn's got is that he's made a financial monster out of Dillian White. If he's saying, look, you're, you're offering me less money now than what I earned against Derek Chisora in a non-world title fight yeah. at the O2 against someone far less dangerous. That just seems... That, that, what, when Herm put those figures together, how did he think he was going to get away with it? Yeah, so that was a short-term game that like, you can fight Derek Chisora and you're the A-side of it, so you take the bigger amount of the pay-per-view, you own the show, you earn a lot of money, cool. But then you've got to be the B-side to something. And look, you know, if you go to work for £10 and then they say, tomorrow, can you come in for 8 You're not going to be happy about it, are you? 
you know, you're going to come in definitely if they offer you 12. You might if I they offer you 10 I again. I can't help but think as well, like, the, the AJ White would generate exponentially more than White Chisora. So there should be no, more... No, 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 no. You don't think? So if you line up these match from pay-per-views, White Chisora 2, I think, is only bettered by one or two Joshua fights. How do we know this? Um, people close to it. I've, I've... <laughs> That's... Sounds incredibly vague. Don't, so. don't give me, I'm not going to say, give me a name. I'm just, how confident would you be in saying that? I would be confident. Well, because, okay, so first thing I know for certain is when Matching were talking about the fight, there was a benchmark number they had for how many, this is how many pay-per-views it will do. It blew that out the water. You're talking in the higher six figures in terms of what this sold. And both fighters were on a proportion of that pay-per-view. So the more pay-per-views they sold, the bigger their purses were. They've both done well out of it. I know, so I know for sure Joshua Klitschko was, well, that, that's still the benchmark in terms of the heavyweight. Well, that's a million plus, they reckon. Well, yeah, one point. They reckon. One point you buy that or not, I don't know. Yeah. Well, Sky reported it as about, is it somewhere between 1.3 and 1.5? I can't remember. And then there's a massive drop-off. Even on Joshua's pay-per-views, there's a massive drop-off. And and then Dillian Chisora, too, it's in that mix, which I found really strange. But apparently this is, and this is why he's emboldened to go to America because he's like, I've got the numbers. And that's what's triggered this from what I hear. Because you, you, you get these networks, Dillian has people who look after him and they're known to people I know as well. The numbers on this were good. What I don't, really good. What I don't necessarily get is... Uh, maybe it's happened anyway and maybe they just haven't talked about it but go and talk with Frank like you've got Fury there if you can do a non-title big numbers with Chisora you can presumably do some non-title big numbers with Fury I, mm, remember we discussed before if someone told you Gatti and Ward were fighting you, you're like I'm all over that but if someone told you Gatti against someone else will fight you'd be like nah, I don't know if those things will, will mesh as well I get that but there must be he must have the numbers for him versus Joseph Parker we didn't know if that would mesh well this isn't his first pay-per-view fight no but then that's why the Chisora one did numbers you knew you knew you weren't going to get your, your run-of-the-mill boxing by numbers you knew something was going to happen yeah but on that principle you can't ever say that any uh, white fight is going to be as good again therefore your numbers aren't ever going to be as good again maybe but you can, you're as good as your last performance. Just keep fighting, Derek. Fuck it, man. We'd all enjoy it. <laughs> I have um, no issue with that. Yeah. yeah. Give the fans what they want. So but, but, I, what, what I'm struggling with is when you take all things into, the, into account, if, if <clears throat> White's payment from the Chisora fight was proportional to the sales, right, why wouldn't his and as was Chisora's, why wouldn't his fight with AJ also be proportional on the sales of their pay per view? They generally give you a number. That's why he's told he's being lowballed because he, you're given a number. So it's already the been model given, can change, right? So he's already been it's already been changed. So, so he, he's given as opposed to a percentage, percentage. he's been given a figure. The question we I believe that uh, yeah okay right so we we assume. The thing I don't understand is why why Hearn would do that when we've already discussed that if Wilder Fury uh, Wilder Fury happens, 
Who's AJ going to fight that's actually credible if he's not white? So it's an ego thing. So what we know for certain is Wilder's out of the equation. Fury seemingly is out of the equation. I think those those two guys strike me as men of honour and they need to resolve unfinished business before anything else can continue. And I understand that. That then leaves Joshua with one of two options. Tried and tested Dillian White or wildcard Alexander Usyk, right, for April 13th. Mm, yeah, I suppose. Or Jarrell Miller. But Which not makes at more sense in America. Yeah. So, so now you're looking at that April 13th date, and you're like, I don't think it's going to happen. And there are a number of things that convince me that. Number one, I don't even think Joshua's in camp yet. And if Joshua's not in camp yet, that's leaving it very tight for April. So that, that convinces me. The second thing is, You've lost Wild and you've lost Fury. So that leaves you with two options for the UK. Dillian's not stupid. He realises that and goes, there's no Wembley show without me. Therefore, yeah, you have to pay me for being Dillian White in the White Joshua fight, but you also have to pay me for saving your date. There's a premium that comes with me saving your date now because of the scarcity principle. You don't have many options. So that's why Hearn's saying we might just do Joshua Miller in America. And just sack off April the 13th. If everyone's calling everyone else's bluff here until, you know, Hearn's trying to save as much money on what, but what was really interesting was one of the interviews Hearn did recently where he was asked about, uh, and he was saying that nobody wants to fight Joshua. This is my problem. Nobody wants to fight Joshua. They're all asking for stupid money to do so. <laughs> and he was asked specifically about like Wilder Fury White. And he was saying like, none of them really want to fight him. None of them want to, you know, they all want to price themselves out of it. And I sat there thinking, you're White's promoter. You're White's promoter. And you're saying that about him. I was really like, I was surprised by the words that came out of his mouth. It was, it was like he was working against Dillian White. It's how he's like, they all want to price themselves out of it. Oh, so it's exclusively their fault. That they're pricing themselves. Everyone else is going the wrong way up this motorway. All of them are. But a year ago, who was it who was pricing themselves out? I remember the, you know what I mean? Someone priced themselves out of 50 million. <laughs> <laughs> priced themselves out of 50 Yeah. So, so I genuinely think Joshua's, Joshua's that guy who's like, I don't want to give up anything more than I have to. And maybe Hearn's like, come on, Josh, come on, man. You, you, and he's like, no. But it's almost working on the Daniel Levy principle at Spurs of like, I'm not going to sign anyone unless they're all like 5 million quid. As a Tottenham fan, it's incredibly frustrating. You sit there like Messi for six million. I said five million. Yeah, it's like he's he's working on the the cost of things fifteen years ago, <laughs> and that's what Joshua almost seems to be like. Is that I will pay the going rate of a far lower value than what the market is. But there's I feel, I, I feel it's a bit of arrogance creeping in to the fact that um, they feel like it doesn't matter who he fights that people are still going to keep of on paying it for it. They booked Wembley twice. Yeah. <laughs> they, and they didn't, they didn't fill it the first time, did they? What, for the Povetkin one? No, well, they upped the capacity, didn't they? And then didn't sell it out. And yet they've still got the second date in advance of that without an opponent named and now seemingly without a fight. Like, the absolute hubris of it. It's just the complacency. It's, it's, it's fantastic because if I admire you, it. If you're gonna be that. <laughs> if you're gonna be that arrogant in one area, then you can't then be arrogant. You got to then be a bit more malleable to make no, sure that you. But can, I reckon but, he's just gonna come out and do pads at Wembley. 
But here's Fuck it all. But, but, AJ know, versus pads. No, so there's a thing, like, and I, I've always believed this. Hearn talks himself into this massive circle of bullshit, right? So if you go back to all the times he's told us how much money Joshua generates, yeah? Massive numbers, massive numbers. Incredible. Unbelievable numbers. Never been seen before in boxing. So he does this month after month. He keeps telling us Joshua is by far and away the superstar. And they're paying Martin six million, paying Parker seven. They're buying these belts for six, seven, eight million, right? Klitschko's getting 10. You're getting all of these insane numbers. So then when it comes now to people having a bit more negotiating heft and muscle, because all the time Hearn was doing all this talking, we weren't really sold on Dillian. We weren't sure where Fury was. And we were just like, Deontay who, right? That's really where we were when Hearn started all this. Josh was making billions and trillions. Now all these guys have stepped up. And now they're like, well, you're telling us Josh is making all of this money. It shouldn't be a problem to give us this number. And Hearn's like, I can't do that. The thing is, Joshua clearly cares about what people think about him based on what he said at the Chisora White fight. Yeah. Where he's like, don't you boo me. Yeah. <laughs> if I fight White, is that enough? Or you, you in the bag. <laughs> don't you dare boo me. Yeah. That's <laughs> what I've been asking, like 500 pissed up punters if he's okay if he fights White. Well, if, if they're going to lowball White into submission, oh, fuck it, I'm not interested. Something's got to give. Is what I'm getting the at. Something's got to give. Like Terry was saying before, they overpaid everybody to get the belts in. And don't get me wrong, Joshua still had to go and do the job. It's not to say Joshua hasn't done his job. He fucking has. And he's done it well. Yeah. And But they've overpaid for the opportunity for Joshua to be able to do that. Presumably with the confidence Joshua could do that, which he did. And now you've almost got it in reverse, that nobody else has any belts. But nobody really is like jumping at that opportunity. Because you're not paying them enough. And so if everybody turns their back on it and walks away, <laughs> you're going to have to stop overpaying people or taking meaningless fights, which people aren't going to be interested in. <laughs> so all these people that have walked away, you're going to have to ask them back to the table with a considerably better offer. Well, I think it's because he thought that once they've got the belts, they're in charge. When actual fact, it's turned. It hasn't. It hasn't come about that way. It's, it's about people wanting to see meaningful fights. Not we'll pay you any um, any number. You you name the number, Eddie, and we'll pay it to watch Joshua do whatever you tell us when, is the best thing. When to other do. people had belts, Joshua had people to chase, and now all of those have been swept up. And they made the point, and they keep making the point so often about how quickly he's done it. He's still a baby. I wonder if they're now thinking we should have put some stoppers in between those belts. We should have just let them sit because Wilder wasn't making noise about trying to go after the belts as quickly as Joshua was. So maybe they should have just let Joseph Parker keep his belt for 18 months and then gone after him. But because once you've got them all, then what? But here's the problem, and this is why, yeah. this is why Hearn's trying to get ahead of the curve. At some point, they're going to have to rank Tyson Fury, right? All the governing bodies are going to have to rank Tyson Fury. And I know there's a slot near the top of the IBF because they never fill that one. And I don't think anyone would argue against Fury being number one or number two across every governing body now. See, so that so that makes it interesting because at some point, Fury's going to be mandatory for Joshua, and that will go to purse bids. And we know Matchroom hate purse bids because if you remember, the Povetkin camp were like, we're going to purse bids. Yeah. 
And so jo- so Matchroom had to stump up a bit more money. Why? Because the last thing they want is it to become public. They don't want the purse bids to become public because then we know what they generate. We know what Josh is really worth. As long as they keep that fog of uncertainty, they can tell us Joshua's earning 50 million a fight and we can't disprove it until there's a purse bid and they only bid 20 mil. Then we go, ah, money's not as long as you thought. I want to imagine a purse bid where it's like 80 million dollars. Not going to happen. It won't happen. Let's throw another ball into this mix. Klitschko. Is he coming out of retirement? What was interesting was if you watch the Hearn interview, so I've, I've learned not to listen to Hearn. I just watch his body language. So shouts out to IFL for, you know, providing the best boxing media coverage out there. The really good interviews. Love him. When, when Hearn talks and he's believable, watch his face. He gets really animated. So his eyes start moving, his eyebrows move, his forehead creases up. And you can see that he's really into what he's saying. So that happens. And then they asked him about Klitschko and he froze. So he was talking, yes, but the top of his head froze. And that's often a sign that you're trying to conceal something. <laughs> and, and so Professor no, Chapman Dharma no, takes no. the floor. So what happens is you watch him for ages. And then I thought, okay, let me slow this all down. No sound, just slow it down. And you're watching. Let, let me, sorry, before you go too far into this, you sat and slowed down an Eddie Hearn interview. <laughs> Jesus, were you bored that day? Nah, you know, I, I wanted to get to that detail because you know it was, this what happens when you don't have kids. I know, seven second duration, slowed it down, and and these little gestures leak out where you can see he's concealing something. So whether Vladimir's coming out, for, coming back for sure, I don't know, but it's being discussed, and it would be useful for Hearn to have Klitsch go around because that's a natural blocker for Fury. You suddenly have Vlad coming back. Maybe he fights a David Price and then a Dave Allen and goes, look, I need a couple of tune-up fights. I want, I want my revenge on Fury. If Wilder can knock him out, I think I can too. I've got more power than Wilder. All of, and then, then we're just like, oh yeah, he's still got it. <sighs> so I can see how it could happen and I'm sure it's being discussed. Ironically, I watch her in interviews at like double the speed just to get through them. <laughs> Who... Who wants to see Klitschko? Who the fuck would want to see Klitschko Fury Listen, again? You know these people, man. They're, they're, all those guys that tweet like they're experts in boxing. They're like, oh my God, yeah. I saw him walking in Miami the other day. He looks in perfect shape. Hasn't lost a step. I'd buy two tickets to it to make isn't up for Fury, Terry's. Isn't Fury Wilder <laughs> the next two fights that either of them are going to take? Well, it's going to be the next one. And then we see after that. Because if it's decisive one way or the other, then you're like, we don't need to see it. So go on, give a percentage. Going back to the original question a while back. If you said, will, okay, will Dillian White be with Matchroom in six months? Yes or no, Andy? What do you reckon? Yeah, I think he will be. I just think he, he knows what's, where he's, what side his bread's buttered on, to use a really T-dog. wank expression. Ooh. Yeah. See, I don't... Honestly, I don't know because no, no. But like, you have to make a prediction. Gun to the head, yes or no? I'd say yes. I think it's. Man, is this? I think he say no. I'd say yes. I think it's. I think he would because he's. It's like how can I put it. It's like Alessandro Nesta at AC Milan. Admittedly, he wasn't Paolo Maldini, right? Or Costa Curta. 
But being Alessandro Nesta was more than enough at AC Milan. Do you see what I mean? It, it means something. Nesta, Milan, it meant something. I guess Dillian's like that, where <laughs> he, odd he's not quite Joshua. I love it. Do you know what I mean? He's not quite Joshua, but he's in that discussion, and sometimes that's enough. Yeah. I, I reckon that he'll end up on a multi-fight deal, whether we're told that or not. But I reckon it'll be one of those ones where, like, if you take the Joshua fight on pay-per-view for this, win or lose, your next fight will be pay-per-view and we'll pay you X. Like, he wants a long-term commitment, I reckon. that If you could put down on paper that over three fights you will earn X million pounds, I think this is some very clever posturing from Dillian White. Yeah. Would be my guess. Whether he fights AJ or not, that's a different matter in his next fight. I think the, I think we're getting to the point where if there's no announcement in the next ten days, you're looking at April thirteenth, going, nah. I know. What do you do with it? Like, just scrap Wembley, get rid of it, demolish it, <laughs> get a new Wembley. <laughs> Bet this one a few years, no? Yeah, it's been ruined over the last couple of seasons. Look <laughs> 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 going out on a high. <laughs> Home um, of football. Moving on to the zone. Oh. So let's. Where's that billion dollars gone? Because these cards are shitty. Shitty. I think most of it's gone to Golden Boy, hasn't it? <laughs> Look, I'm not Hearn hating on this. I'm just saying Andrade versus Akafov is a shitty main event. At least Frank was honest enough to go Akafov only deserves a leisure centre and Paisley. Yeah. That, I like the honesty of that. Don't, don't give him anything more than that. Yeah. Don't give him pay per view, just, just, just get him like, out the way. Where is that billion dollars? Because if you look through these zone cards, they're shitty. Like, really, I haven't bothered to watch that from Friday nights. Don't ask me about the fights. I know the results. I didn't watch the action. I was just happy Lenares lost. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I'm starting to query what's going on. If you think, zone give away that first month free, didn't they? So you can take it up. Like what kind of if you're a boxing fan, and presumably in America, that's one of the main reasons you would have the app right now, is that you're a boxing fan. Imagine turning that on. Andrade Akovov. Like what kind of incentive that's not gonna drive subscription numbers long term. The Canelo stuff might, I get that. But then that's a, that's a, that goes into Delahoy's bucket, right? Nah, well, I don't know. Like how can you tell if somebody subscribes? Like how do you allocate that to Hearn or Delahoya? Well, that's I guess that's my point because if Hearn if Hearn would have done the numbers on the Joshua Povetkin, would you have got would you have really got Delahoya in as quickly as you did? But then you're like shit. I don't think Hearn's the guy to carry all of this. We need we need that guy over there. Yeah, no, that that, that doesn't. I'm not querying yeah. that at all. It's just how you split that. You know, whatever the total pot is, say one and a half billion, do you split it out by view numbers, average per show, perhaps? I, I don't know. But I'm seriously, and I know there's been all the stuff where, you know, <laughs> Hearn tried to sign Broner, tried to sign Pacquiao, Charlo. <laughs> Charlo, all these names, and hasn't been able to. And maybe that's wise that he didn't, looking at what's happened since and subsequently to each of them. Maybe it's wise that he didn't. Um, but you know maybe saving that billion dollars up for the big names or whatever if that billion dollars is true but at the moment what he's putting on is not a product that if you're a boxing fan would drive you to pay $10 a month for DAZN 
And no, no, so so I get it to an extent where I can say you've got to kind of find your formula before you get the big names on and have the pressure of having to deliver for them. Excuse me. Have a few moneyball names. Test out your formula. Test out your locations at work. What really drives revenue numbers and engagement? I'm okay with that. But my worrying thing is, or where I'm worried most is, the zone did what they did. And then Heyman went straight to Fox. And Fox were like, how much did they pay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, or you, you want the zone money? There you go. Yeah. Just go and lock down your, your fighters now. And so Heyman's there going, happy days. You know, I, I can keep all these American guys here. Now I can go over to Britain and tell you, look, you know what money's backing me over here. Let's, let's all have a conversation. So the zone probably thought they'd have been the big kid in the playground. And all of a sudden, Heyman's come back. And I think they underestimated that, which is why they've got De La Hoya on board and it's why they'll, they'll bend over backwards to try and sign Golovkin. But then if you're Heyman, you're like, no, we'll sign Golovkin. We can, we can make Golovkin work over here. Yeah, it's... I don't know. I'm, I'm just bemused by it at the moment. I, I get that you don't want to chuck all the money in immediately, but what are we, six months into it? And there's no statement signing. Six exa- months into I it. I think that was it. Like, you'd expect some sort of massive statement no, of in, uh, like intent, you know, like... No statement signings. If you ask me to recount the best show on the zone so far, I, I can't think of... There's not one fight card that stands out as being exceptional. The Callum Johnson uh, Baturbiev card was okay. But that was the Matchroom B team getting sent over, wasn't it? It was... Yeah. Um, I can't think of anything that's like standout-ish about it so far. And how long's the deal? Two years? Is it? Yeah. Three years? I think it's two initially and then you, you, like, you stop I, and check. So you must have an awful lot of money left over for the last 18 months. So put your foot down and do something with it. I don't think you can. I, I genuinely don't think... So if can. that's the case, then there was never a billion dollars. And if that's the case, I can't see how it's long-term... Well, I can see how it's sustainable because it's cheap. Yeah. But I don't see how it's profitable to anybody. It worries me when your your marketing spiel involves talk about Katie Taylor fucking headlining and you're like Really? That's that's the best Matchum could do. The the filler in York Hall is headlining in America. And then Hearn comes out saying she's my favourite fighter in the world. What well, that's that? handy for you that, right that, now, that, isn't it? <laughs> that guy will say wow, anything. Wow, what a stroke of luck. <laughs> <laughs> what are the odds? <laughs> but, but, but also, just look at how hard Hearn's having to work for this to even... Just to tread water. Just just the, the hours he's putting in. Admirable, The, the miles he's putting in, the sacrifices on his family and stuff. He's doing Germany, he's doing Italy, he's doing America, there's talk of Spain, imagine, like, plus the, the UK. shit from America. It's like, what would you really like to see in America? I'd really like to see a, see a statement signing. No, wrong. You'd like to see us expand into Italy, expand into Germany. Like, you haven't even done anything good in the USA yet. We're expanding further. We're going to have the zone fucking Iran. But I'd, I'd, really, I'd really like to spend my hours just getting America nailed down, get those signings. <laughs> No, 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 no. The Zone Maldives is coming next. Keep going. Uh, you got to love the Zone. What's it, John Skip, whatever his name was? Eddie, 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 don't worry about America. We, 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 we got Oscar here. Yeah, you just go off and do. <laughs> you, you go off and do our expansion markets. 
Yeah, we want to grow into these areas here. Have you, you been to Gibraltar already? <laughs> How familiar are you with it? <laughs> the zone <laughs> Falkland Islands. <laughs> Next. <laughs> no, he's in. He he he's at this point where he's working so hard. You don't imagine he's got any more gears left in him. Because let's look at it, right? He's done the whole. If you want pay per view, you got to go through us. It's not true anymore. Then he did the whole. I've got Anthony Joshua, the biggest star in world boxing. Not true anymore. I've got the zone, the biggest platform. We're going to break pay per view, and I've got a billion dollars behind me. Not anymore. What I don't, what I don't get is, I feel like this. This is a bit of a wild swing. So if you think I'm massively wrong, feel free to tell me. But it's almost like Eddie Hearn has some charisma, but I don't think he has necessarily gauged just how much many of fighters and other people within the industry have like disliked them and are willing to go outside of them just to spite them sort of thing you know no one see he doesn't have that sort of i oh, yeah he's creating this big behemoth but people just want to get involved I think it's big fish little pond stuff over here in that he can be the playground bully in the uk because they are the biggest entity and then you assume you can take that model that behavior that that way of acting to America and it doesn't quite work like that when there's already established people and in the meantime you've been over here going um, like Shirley Winkle and you've pissed off a lot of people I I think that's seemingly what it is because you'd have I I can't give you a specific example when you've got big behemoths like proportion and I'm actually missing the UK boxing market usually it's the sort of thing where people want to get involved but you see some people doing anything they possibly can just to not be part of it and it just seems I think Wilder said didn't he if the money was as big as what we're told then everybody would be flocking to the UK yep and nobody is flocking to the UK the UK is is doing abundantly well by itself but that's fine. But we're not all desperate to be a part of it because it isn't necessarily what we're told it is. So is it a case of Eddie miscalculating in terms of his moves, his behaviour? Well, I think he... under So he assumed British boxing fans were as cynical as it gets. It turns out the Americans are incredibly cynical and will invest time to research. So when they come at you, it's why he doesn't like doing media. This is why Coogan's over there. He doesn't like doing media in America because they really go for him and they press him. That's what they do. They press him until he makes commitments and he feels really uncomfortable doing that. So I think he's underestimated how tough the American crowd is. I don't even think he's done Los Angeles yet. Like That's just a New York crowd. So he, he's, got, he's got a lot that he has to prove. And then while he's been focusing on all of this zone stuff, he's losing it here. Because now, look, if you look at the people he's managed to sort of isolate, DeGale, uh, O'Hara Davis, uh, Eubank Jr., there's a list of names that are marketable and lucrative in this country. You could end up adding Dillian White to that. Yeah. Potentially. All these guys that don't work with that, that won't work with her. So now he's scratching around looking for fights and his Olympians are looking for challenges. And now he's... All that effort he spent building these guys up and talking nonsense about them, 
He's now got to start all over again. I think, to be fair, the likes of De Gale and Eubank, they would work with Hearn. I just suspect they were paid better to go and work with ITV. But is that a miscalculation from in fact, Hearn? I, in fact, I know for a fact that they were offered the Sky platform for that pay-per-view. For fact. Um, they were offered contracts with Sky Sports box office. Which ultimately ITV route through, if I'm correct, right? I don't know. Okay. Um, but no, back to back to that zone show. Let, let, let's let, let's talk about Linares because who got spanked out in a round, right? And I'm happy. And here's why I'm happy. I remember when I'd say Linares was overrated, and people said to me, "What do you fucking know, mug? What do you know? You know shit about boxing, do you? You fucking cornflake cruncher." You're a shitty podcast. You and your mates all talking shit. Someone was calling you a cornflake cruncher. Probably. I don't know. I get, <laughs> I, I get abused for my own words. But no, so I'd always said that Naris is fragile. That's the word I use. He was fragile. He was, he was fragile at 130. He was fragile at 126. It just took someone who wanted to beat the shit out of him to stand up and go, I'm going to beat the shit out of you, which was Lomachenko first and foremost. And then whatever this guy's name was, is it Kano? Kano, yeah. Just... And and that's it. As soon as you put it on Linares, he folds. He's not that strong mentally. Yeah, he looks good when he boxes, but Jesus Christ, he's weak mentally. And then you you look at how he fell so easily, and you go, well, how shit must Crawler and the other lot be? Like, <laughs> <laughs> how shit must you be that you couldn't do that to Linares? And it seems that everyone else can. Is it? But, there's two ways of looking at it. One is that Linares finished him, and he's got old. Uh, Lomachenko finished sorry yeah uh, Lomachenko's finished him he's got old or the other is that he's susceptible if you stick it on is it the third time he's been stopped within yeah. two rounds yeah so, so I'm like well I mean he was getting stopped he was getting fucked up he was getting cut before Lomachenko but don't forget Kevin Mitchell was putting hands on him yeah so he's been fragile for a long time and and remember people were like, he's on, he's on my pound for pound list and all this ridiculous shit. And you're like, wow. How? Because he beat Gallagher fighters. Is that the criteria for being pound for pound in 2018? That you've got to beat a Gallagher fighter and you've got to train in David Hayes' gym with a bit of a manicured beard and some hair? Really? He's got a good beard, though. Well, he had a man bun. <laughs> <laughs> had that man bun spanked off his head. Look, I, I, I want him to retire now. He's, he's one of those guys, like, give him the right opponent and he looks brilliant, right? But he's not, he's not a guy you'd expect to anchor a division. He's not one of those guys, you know, can you imagine him against like a pro grade, pro grade putting hands on him? No, it's painful. But I don't know what you do with Linares because you sense they need him. Right? Yeah, he had relative success against Lomachenko more so than a lot of fighters have had which as you say is the right opponent potentially somebody who's technically very gifted doesn't rush you um, yeah. you wouldn't be adverse to seeing him fight Lomachenko again more so than seeing Kroller fight Lomachenko which is what we're going to end up with I hope Loma vacates the WBA have ordered it in they purse bids I hope he vacates I, I, I there's a part of me that wants to see it there's a, don't get me wrong, not for any other reason other than to everybody be able to go, this is stupid. And then we'll be told, because already done one of those interviews, didn't he, with somebody who was like, oh, Barry from Barnsley on Twitter tells me not to take the fight. So it's like, no, Barry from Barnsley doesn't say that. 
Barry from Barnsley says, you're not going to win this fight. There's a big difference between that and, like, you shouldn't take it. If I'm Anthony Crawler and somebody offers me a million pounds to go and fight, you know, a future Hall of Famer. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. He, if I'm Anthony Crawler, I'd go and take it. It doesn't mean that anybody out there thinks you're going to win, but no. I don't blame him for taking it. Yeah. I blame the WBA for making it. Well, yeah. and, and this is why the, are you ordering it? We know what's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like we well, know, you know why they're ordering it. <laughs> that train journey between Mendoza yeah. and Hearn. Well, you, that's probably you, a good train journey. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, but <laughs> I, if I'm Loma, I'm just like, nah, just drop the belt. I don't need it. It's I'm, not a fight that he needs, is it? It's no. not a fight that adds anything when it comes... Yeah, I'm past the belt. You know, I might fight Lee Selby, though. You know, he might do that. Yeah. So, yeah, I fight Lee Selby. Why? Because he's not Crawler. <laughs> he should fight Flanagan. <laughs> <laughs> Just to annoy at the MBN. Just at the MBN. <laughs> and, and he should show up dressed as Crawler. <laughs> or Gallagher. <laughs> do it at Tottenham Leisure Centre <laughs> where all great fights happen <laughs> uh, Carl Chapman asks to, to if we're finished in the zone are we finished in the zone well, is the zone finished well I'm, I'm just the final thing like a billion pounds yeah like, let's just think about that again if we're saying it's two years and we were told at the beginning a billion there must be such a swell Maybe. of money. It must be. This is worse than Maybe HS2 in terms of just, <laughs> where's the billion gone? <laughs> but do you reckon at the end of it, Hearn will be like, no, there was a billion dollars. I'm like, what do you spend it all on? He well, just starts showing you watches. I'm done in boxing. <laughs> I am out of <laughs> Just him and Floyd. Just like that. <laughs> I, I'm off to do the gymnastics, lads, at the O2. Oh, when dear. is that going to happen? <laughs> Who cares? I know. No, I, I want to see Matchroom do gymnastics. I'm not going to lie. I, I'd be quite happy to watch that. I've waited a lot. I've waited long enough for you this. Won't buy a ticket though. <laughs> Stream it. <laughs> Who is the next true? Carl Chapman asked. Who is the next true superstar of the welterweight division? It's promised so much for so long, but inactivity has killed it, in my opinion. You need Pacquiao to leave before you can build a new superstar. Well, he what? says it does need Pac or Brona, and maybe that's why they're both still relevant. Jeff Horn was clearly not the answer. <laughs> no, look. That's who Brooks meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that? There was um, a piece with Brooke on the Sky Sports website where they're talking, like trying to build up his other options. And he was like, well, there's options for me in America. Um, such as, you know, Jeff Horn, the Australian. <laughs> oh, those options are thick and long, isn't they? Oh, man. Fuck me. Uh, this, is, this is how low we've sunk as a country in boxing. This is the sort of nonsense we, we're having to, to endure. Brooke fighting Jeff Horn. Look at Andy. Andy looks broken. But no, no, I am what, broken. What was Carl's question? Well, why are there no superstars at 147? Who's the next? Who is the next welterweight division superstar? Superstar. Crawford Super. has that potential. He, because I think to be a superstar, you need that edge. Like, I have to know that you can get nasty. And it looks like Crawford's got that in him. Spence is a, Spence is a savage, but when you hear Spence talk, you're like, He's got a touch of the Kell Brook to him. You know where he sounds a bit simple? Not in a stupid way, but is he talks a bit too slow. Whereas Crawford 
just there, just machine guns words out. And I, you know, let's see what he does with Khan. Like let's let's say he just ices Khan Brady's Prescott style. Then we're like, oh, make a bit of Pacquiao noise. Oh, okay. Can this guy carry the division? I yeah. don't think beating Khan does anything for him. I think he'll hammer Khan. I don't think he does anything for him. I don't think it's a, a good win for him at all. Best win he would have had up until this point. That's no, why I when you look at how Khan beat Vargas, getting off the canvas, mm. I, I, it doesn't do a lot for me. That's why I don't understand why anyone would want to fight Khan. What does it do? Like, who cares? It's a name. It is a name. It's the same reason, it's the same reason you fight a 40-year-old Pacquiao. Yeah. It doesn't do anything if you beat him, really. Like, the, if you lost to Khan, that's a huge surprise. But if you beat Khan, nobody's overly impressed by that. Like, you should... If you're Terence Crawford, you should beat Amir Khan. So in 20 Khan. years' time, they can look back and go, Wow, you beat Pacquiao. Yeah. When did you beat him? Don't worry about that. Scrunch it up. He was 50 what? (laughs) It was in his peak. That's all you need to know. I call it Bell logic. You know where he was like, I beat the great David Hay. And you're like, oh, that's very true, Tony. (laughs) Yeah, you did. You did. Did you nick his wheelchair as well? Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, next, next. What, what, it's not even going to be Spence or Crawford, you assume. Who but. is the next sort of superstar of boxing? Well, Canelo's you, still like, young. You, you had you had Mayweather, who was yeah. Well, I suppose like you've got Canelo. Canelo's still young. Usyk, if he goes and makes a mark at heavyweight, but yeah. then he's Eastern European, and they don't necessarily he's transcend not. the sport. Ryan yeah. Garcia, look <laughs> madly. I want Ryan Garcia to win everything because I just enjoy watching his videos. Ryan Garcia just seems like the nicest... Like, if one of my daughters grew up and dated Ryan Garcia, I'd be happy about that, man. The guy's a gentleman. The guy's good-looking. The guy's fun. The guy's quite camp. The (laughs) guy... Like, it's a really weird mixture of a boxer. When you think he's trying to line up a fight with Javonta Davis, who's like the the polar opposite of mm. that who's like he's out there trying to give it the, the gang life look about him and like he's all talk and you know imagine those two in a press conference it would be the fucking funniest thing you've ever seen but Ryan Garcia shifts huge numbers in America I remember the guys at Cheap Seat Boxing they gave me the heads up on him two maybe more years ago about this kid who like shifts massive ticket numbers in America you don't shift Massive ticket numbers. But this kid could do like... 20, in London. <laughs> he could do like 20,000, 30,000 tickets himself, selling it out a couple of years back. And he's just grown and grown and grown. He's big. And women love him. Like, he could cross over into the women pool. And, well, and box them. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he could he could bring women fans to the sport quite easily. He's, he could be huge. Be ready... We Are you recording now? Nice. I mean, a seamless edit point there. To record. <laughs> That's going to sound so fucking weird. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we had a slight technical glitch there where uh, we stopped recording. So we got the tail end and salvaged what we could. Um, sorry. We salvaged what we could from the tail end of what we're talking about. Um Having said that, that is pretty much it. I don't have any more questions. I'm sure there was a question. Danny Watley sent one. Danny Watley! Do you remember Jody Watley? No, clearly not. 
Yeah, one more, another seamless edit point. Um, one more question from Danny Watley. Is there an underlying issue that's not public as to why Frank Warren and Eddie Hearn don't like each other? Is it banter? Is it purely professional rivalry? Or is there something more? This, to some extent, I think branches into kind of what I was saying earlier, I, I think. but um, It's a great question, but one that I think we have to tread carefully over, probably, to avoid... Well, you do. Um, my guess would be well okay let's go back to what we we think we know is that they've never met never met Um, really that's 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 what we've been told so I'm sure Barry and Frank Warren have met I'm a million percent sure of that they must have at some point in the past but we're told Frank Warren and Eddie Hearn have never met but they were in the same room the other day for the Khan Crawford press conference. Frank Warren was there because they have the relationship with Top Rank and Bob Arum. And so he was. they were in the same building. I'm sure they've been in the same building multiple times before. Um, but if you think back to like Sam Eggington, Bradley Skeet, when Bradley Skeet went and fought on a matchroom card, Frank Warren didn't go with Skeet. I think it was Andy Ayling that went with him, if I remember rightly. And so it is believable that they haven't met. Um, it almost seems petty that they haven't met. And I'm not sure who whose side that would lie upon. I could take an educated guess, but I'm not going to say, so leave it out there. No, you're not. <laughs> um, I would guess they probably never have met. Now, why do they not like each other? Is it? Ban- I don't think it's banter. I don't think it's banter at all. No. I think there's a genuine... I don't think Frank's one for banter, is he? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not photographic banter. Why did you send him that letter? Funny. <laughs> Bant- uh, <laughs> Bantosaurus, they call me. Um, so, I, 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 would it be fair to say, right, would, do you think it would be, I'd be in the right ballpark if I thought, if I said that what it feels to me is that Frank has contempt for, for Eddie? I think contempt might be. I think he has respect for him. To me, it seems like a generational clash. Because don't forget, mm. Frank and Barry are the same generation. Eddie, it's like Frank's his dad could be yeah. his dad, you know, age-wise. And so Eddie's this young whippersnapper upstart, born with a golden spoon in his mouth, comes through and does things his way that appeal to his generation. Frank's still there. And don't get me wrong, I'm sure he's got advisors that are trying to bring him up to date a little bit in terms of what people want. But ultimately, Frank's still in charge. And I'm sure Barry Hearn is still in charge of the purse strings and all that and Matchroom. But it's clear that Eddie's driving the evolution of the boxing within Matchroom. I just think it's probably a bit of a, a generation clash and a bit of, you know... <laughs> I bet Frank thinks, why do I even need to be his mate? Or why do I need to meet him? Like, if I met him in the street and we weren't boxing related, I wouldn't want to be his mate then. Like, yeah. why would Frank have Eddie as a, a friend or whatever? So I think they work better as competitors anyway. I think they work better against each other than they ever could together. Um, so I don't think... I doubt there's any personal dislike between the two of them. I imagine they're probably... Well, because Barry and Frank don't get on, right? Based on the Radio Five yeah. interview, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. look, I, I know because 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 I know for certain if you've got a problem with my dad, I've got a problem with you. Like, 
you get personal about my dad, then I'm coming after you. So I imagine there's elements of that involved as well, where it's like, listen, I know, I know what you've said about my dad to him. I've also heard what you said about him in the shadows. So and then also, there's probably from Frank's side of it, like, fuck yeah. off, child. Yeah. Like, let, let the big boys sort this out. Yeah. I bet there's that mindset to an extent. You know, like the Godfather shit. Like, look, there's only certain people I can talk to about this. Mm. You know, it's the same way, like, well, if you remember that, that Eubank interview, that epic Eubank, the 50-minute one, <laughs> where he was like, why should I have to speak to the son? The son went to private school through my sweat and blood. I should speak to the father. Yeah. And, and, and I get that because, you know, you see the photographs of little Eddie with Chris Eubank. You're like... And then Eddie publicly gives the stories about how Eubank charged to go to Barry's birthday party. That's... That's morally a little bit wrong to me. a smear campaign. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't sit comfortably with me, that side of him. So... I don't think there's anything personal between them because I don't think they've ever yeah, well, that's spoken. It, isn't it? Yeah. Met. However, that's not to say they can't dislike each other from afar. Yeah. And I think they probably would, I'd guess. But that's because, you know, from my workplace, <laughs> the owner of my business and our main competitor's business, they don't like each other. And they've got historical stuff going back years together. It's no different, really. Yeah. Like, why would they like each other? Can they work together, you know, to make the best fights? No. They've proven that so far. <laughs> yeah, they clearly can't. There's no history of, like, you know, there's no cross-pollination between the two stables on a regular basis. There's one-offs, like Skeet Eggington that we said earlier, but it's not a regular occurrence, and it's certainly not risking your main boys against the other person's main boys. You're taking the mid-card. Um... So, yeah, it's a bit of a cold war, but I like it. Like, how much how much fun is it when you know that every Frank Warren interview on IFL <laughs> is going to involve part of it just turning whatever question onto a Hearn rant? You kind of look forward to it. Yeah. And Hearn kind of takes the opposite of, like, he tries to come over all cool and chilled about it. Like, why am I bothered about Frank? Well, you know, I've got my own business going on. He doesn't really bite, but... Frank goes for it. And I enjoy that. <laughs> um, any other business? Um, what have we touched on? Uh, what haven't we touched on? Because it's weird because there were no shows coming up. <laughs> There's nothing going down, is there? No. The, the, the update. Uh, interesting. I think the GB lot went out to Colorado Springs to go and do a camp with the Japanese and Chinese and the Americans. Weird. Not really sure how I feel about UK sport money being wasted on those sorts of camps. You know, speaking as you know, someone involved in the grassroots, it's a massive waste of money. But hearing some good noises about a couple of kids in the American squad, a kid called Jared Anderson is looking good. Um, yes, apparently he was impressive at 91 kilos, so we'll see what happens in 2020. But I think, you know, that frustrates me though, that and this is something people don't really get. So if you look at it this way, every four years, based on your Olympic performance, you get given funding. If you didn't hear that, Martin just announced that he's going for a wee. My knees are hurting. His knees are hurting. So, Carry on, Terry. <laughs> no, so basically, you, you, so you get a four-year <laughs> funding cycle, right? Uh, let me guess it's around 15 million this year. 
And for, for most sports, what they do is they take a proportion of that for their elite program. And a, a meaningful proportion that goes to grassroots participation. So it goes to helping grow the sport. It goes to helping clubs that are in distress. With boxing, the money doesn't trickle down. So when you guys see guys like Joshua Bartzi ascending to the highest levels, man, you have to remember that his, his boxing club, South Norwood and Victory, which also produced guys like Kevin Lushing as well, survive on a hand-to-mouth basis. You know, London rents are going up, so actually owning or renting properties in London for a boxing gym is becoming incredibly expensive and it's ruling out clubs forming in the inner cities now where they're probably most needed because we're spending money on training camps in Lanzarote. We're spending money on training camps in Colorado Springs. We're spending money on training camps in Azerbaijan and all of these sorts of places. And the narrative we're given is it's going to help us win gold medals, which, you know, I'm yet to see the, the benefit case for that. But what it means is the cupboard is bare at, at, at the amateur level. It's incredibly, you know, it, it, it's, it's embarrassingly so. If you take away the GB squad, you know, and that kind, of, that kind of selects itself, the tier below the GB squad is okay, and then there's a massive drop-off because so many kids have been disillusioned that they've turned pro too soon. And boxers don't like to hear that, but these guys are turning pro too soon. There's a young kid, Callum Beardow, who's signed... He might be on a boxing show up north, actually, with Shikan Pitters and those sorts of guys. But there's a young kid called Callum Beardow who, who did a lot of good work in the ABAs last season. So he's turned over, but you, know, you look at him and you're like, you could do with another two years. And these guys are turning over so quickly now that they don't have time to prepare to be pros. So back to, you know, if we're going to talk small hall, that's why guys don't shift tickets anymore. Because you show up, you get to 20 bouts, and then that getting from 20 bouts to 50 has become so hard now that people have just sacked it off. But I think you need those 50 bouts, number one, so people know who the hell you are. Number two, to build your profile and your following. And then to work out, like I think those 30 fights are a good time to work out, can you make a living boxing? Because a lot of these kids are winning a Haringey Box Cup, get about 14 bouts in and turning over. And you're like, okay, mate. And this is my test for anyone that tells me they want to box as a pro. Let's give them a piece of paper and a pen and I go, write down 50 people you know for certain will buy a ticket if you fight next week. Who will buy a ticket for certain? <clears throat> and most boxers struggle with that. It's crazy list. difficult. Boxers are non-boxers. Yeah. It's so hard, isn't it? It's, it? it's hard because it's expensive. Yeah. You think it's, it's a tenner or sometimes 15 quid to go and watch an amateur bout. And friends and family rarely come to those. Someone who I will give credit to, who, you know, who, who was like that, O'Hara Davis. I've never seen a kid pay for so many amateur bouts to come and cheer on his mates. But a lot of people don't. And if, if people aren't willing to pay at that low price point and you get a better quality of bout because there are no journeymen in the amateurs, you match based on relative ability. So theoretically, these are all 50-50s. And people still won't pay for that. So these young guys have to learn. Do your time in the amateurs, but use that time wisely to transition into the pro. So by the time you turn over, the tickets should be flying off. If you've done it right, the tickets should be flying off. Example would have been, even if Joshua Barsi hadn't gone to matchroom, 
he'd be selling tickets because we've known about him for six years and we've all gone to watch him box. You wouldn't. Hmm? You wouldn't. I would have last year, not this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do you make of, because um, I know some are really impassioned about it and some, you know, by the by, the England boxing turning their hand to white collar. It's the right thing to do. I, I think anything that's not pro should come under that amateur banner. Everything should, because that means we can standardize everything. So to, to give the the color to this, England boxing who run <laughs> used to run all of the amateur side, but now you've got the alliance. Um, but they've basically come out and said like we're going to run white collar shows and put a poster up saying if you want to train for eight weeks like a top boxer, you know, sign. There's up only to, one top boxer. <laughs> sign up to our. Um, white collar boxing thing so I don't agree with that so that's the thing I don't agree with so I, but there's uh, there's all, all kinds of white collar boxing there's probably 50 white collar boxing organisations around the country and England boxing are now Just setting up the a 50 rival. first yeah right. so, so, so my thing was uh, and I was speaking to someone on the exec board of England boxing you know we still talk over the divide weirdly enough so I had a conversation I said if you're going to do this whole thing Sack off this distinction between white collar and non-white collar, right? Just have, just have your Olympic path. That's all you need. Have your Olympic path. So that's everyone from eighteen to forty, right? And these are like, if you really want to progress and do well and fight in the ABAs and stuff, there's your path for you. If that's not for you, then we can match you up. Maybe we do thirty fives and over. 40s and over, 45s and over. But let, let's... let's so 35s and over, five bouts and under. To be honest, I'd leave that to the clubs. You know how to match people up. So there might be someone, for example, who's had 15 bouts and a guy that's had six, but that guy that's had six had five as a junior, in you know, and then he boxed... So one. here would be the thing, right? And I think when we had uh, Carl Chapman yeah. and I can't remember the other fella's it was name. Gary. Gary, yes. Yes. Well I done. We we'll pulled that out of the hat. Yes. Uh, from the Warriors white collar lot. Yeah. And it's the fear of the um, like snobbery, if you like. But I don't mean it in a in a bad way. But fear of those amateur boxing clubs. If you went along to them at thirty five years old and said can I come and train? I've never done it before in my life. That they're going to look at you and go, you're wasting our fucking time, get out. Yeah, but you know why they say that? Because... Because the, you're wasting their fucking time, no, you shouldn't no, be no, there. <laughs> not necessarily. No, no. So it was because at the time, the cutoff point was, was 38. Yeah. So it's like, well, what are you going to learn in three years that's going to make you competitive? Yeah. So you are wasting their time in that sense, but you start to move the parameters and you go, well, actually, we can organise a show where these lads are all preparing for the ABAs, they get their bouts. We're going to have three bouts for these guys. The office work a lot. We're going to have some, I mean, some other bouts for these guys yeah. who, you can, you, can, you can structure it that way without demeaning people. And this is why I want to remove that distinction. If you walk into our boxing club and you do the work we ask you to work, there's no distinction between white collar and non-white collar. Do you see what I mean? So I'd like to remove that distinction. If you're an amateur boxer, you're an amateur boxer and you should be putting that work in. It shouldn't be, oh, train for eight weeks and have a fight. It should be like everyone else. Stay in the fucking gym until you're called. You know, let, let's go back to the old school way of doing things where you always had to be close to your weight because you'd get a phone call and it was like, right, how much does Andy weigh? Oh, Andy's on, he's, Andy's 81. Okay, we've got a lad here, 81. Is, can he do the fight? Who's your lad? And then you have a conversation 
all right, yeah, I think that could be a fair fight. You're not, you're not taking the piss, are you? No, I'm not. Fine. You can do that. And if you do it that way, it's fine because what you then do is you standardise the experience for everybody. So you don't have to say, I was on a white collar show. You can say, actually, I was on the same show <clears> as this young kid that went to the Olympics. You got the pictures now. Now it's the real boxing experience. You haven't created this artificial distinction. The only reason you'd want to hang on to that distinction is if you're making money from it. Yeah. No, I get that. Um, and would you... Okay, go down that path. Say that happens. Say that's introduced. Would you allow somebody after eight weeks to step into a ring? I'd never. Under no circumstances would I allow that because I can't teach you to jab in three months for fuck's sake. So what are you going in there with? Yeah, so then you're... That's where the appeal of the white collar element is, is that after eight weeks, Dave, you can go and have a scrap with Barry. Not that you have to commit to it for 12 months to be able to do it. Well, but then, but then you're a fucking rat. Like, uh, well, absolutely fine, yeah. but that's where the appeal of it is. And that, that's disappointing. And there you go. And this is what I mean about these, a lot of these guys who fail to make a living post-boxing and they've sort of leveraged this concept of white collar to go, if I shorten the training period, I can churn. I can churn more people. If it was 12 weeks, I can get X number in. Eight weeks, I get even more people. For Absolutely. It. And it's money making. We and, all know that. Yeah. And, and for me, like, look, I don't see my role as a custodian of the sport, but I do believe I should do what's best for the sport before I do what's best for myself within that sport. And everyone should learn to box properly. For no other reason, and if you're a white-collar guy, listen to this. I promise you this is the truest shit I'm going to say to you. Boxing feels a fuckload better when you know what you're doing. It feels a fuckload better when you're not in panic mode for three three-minute rounds or three two-minute rounds, whatever it is they have you doing. Because that's what you see. You know, when you watch these fights, you're like, why are they just swinging wildly? Panic. And you just revert back to your instincts. Because you haven't had time to relearn what to do that's why the drills happen that's why it takes so long because you want to be able to be in that ring and it's not 100 miles an hour it's just normal thinking pace and that comes with work but if that's not what you want to do if you want to be in a picture on facebook and go look at what i did because we're living in the experience industry now where it's all front and no substance then fine just know you're not a real one and when you meet a real one it's going to be painful for you. But that's fine. I think a lot of people don't want to be a real one. Yeah. They just want to go and that is swing. It. Pe people just want the experience. Just, well, well, why can't not... they go and do white collar MMA? Get the fuck out of our sport. <laughs> <laughs> because then an MMA podcast will be cutting them off as well. <laughs> well but, but they're the sort of people who, if someone came to me in my gym and said, look, I want to train for eight weeks to fight and they'd done nothing before, what I'd know is once they were done, they'd never come back. That's the bit that rankles with me. Do you see what I mean? But then, I mean, as a gym, I mean, this is where the appeal comes, isn't it, for gyms, is that if you could then say 40 of them are going to come and each of them, in essence, is paying £10 per lesson, that's 400 quid coming in per lesson, yeah. two lessons a week, 800 quid a week over eight weeks, that's where, you know, 6,400 quid to start training these lads up. Okay. That's where the appeal comes, isn't it? But here's an example. So we do something called the Boodles Balls. I think Boodles are a jeweler's. And they have like a charity ball and there's boxing on there. And they get ex-military guys and stuff. We work with these guys. But these are guys who are in the gym with us week in, week out. 
So when the Boodles ball comes up, we're just preparing them to fight in that. So I'm like, okay, but you've been consistent with the club. You've been here year in, year out. And you're people who put into the club. You're not a guy who's shown up for eight weeks, had his fight, done his pictures, done the social media, still has it as their profile picture, still tells girls that he's boxed before, and then fucked off. So you've taken all of that time and energy out of the club and then just fucked off. And then you're there going, but all that time I was working with you, I wasn't working with that young kid over there who's consistent. Yeah, but then, I mean, there's a... I completely get what you're saying, but the money coming into that club, it must be tempting just to go... If this is, if we can guarantee it's going to carry on for the next five years, like surely we'll make that, money doing that, it that way. In that respect, you can, as a club, like you're saying, you know, you haven't worked with that kid, whoever that young kid is. Mm-hmm. Then you just get in coaches who are reflective of the standard that is going to be required to f- help white collar boxers. Okay, so now where am I going to fit these white collar guys to do their sparring and everything they need to do? Because remember, you've got a finite space in your gym. I'm not going to go and get another unit to then go, right, I've got this white collar lot here. Because now they're there going, well, I'm not really getting the full experience. Oh, I'm not. I'm just here with another bunch of fucking suit-wearing mugs. <laughs> what I'm saying is, it, it makes perfect sense for you to dedicate that small amount, proportionally, small amount of time. Because that's, they're, not, they're not asking for depth and knowledge. They're asking for just a basic amount of time for what is proportionally a lot of money, isn't it? No, to, to then yes, run... It's not a lot of money. Well, then... I'll give you an example, Andy, right? I trained a lady and she owns her own... Her own handbag factory. Figure out who she is if you want. And... Who owns was... handbag factories? <laughs> He's going to Google it. London... Carry on. So that's what? 90 quid an hour. Right? That's 90 quid an hour. Would I earn... Would I earn anywhere near that training a bunch of white collar guys? Probably not. Even if you like, even if you scale that up, no chance. But I can get this consistently. That's just an hour of my time. I've got to focus here. I can fit that in whenever. She the one on Dragons Den. I don't know who's on Dragons Den. Neither do I. I I'll pitch it out <laughs> there and see if you said yes, and then I could narrow down who I'm looking for. No, so. <laughs> so, Deborah Meaden you were thinking of weren't you so, no I have no idea I genuinely oh, have no okay. I just if he said yes then I'm just is it the one that Simon Campbell was shagging with the curly hair what so, you, you know who it you, is I don't no no I mean the lady on Dragon's Day I have no idea no. Oh. No, no, no. no but back to back, back to this whole white collar <laughs> thing I just like it must be financially viable because it wouldn't happen well, no, mustn't it no. so it's viable if you can find a space yeah Get get a load of people in, get a guy just going, step forward, step back, do this, do that. And then you organise the show. That's where you get your money, really, is when you organise the show. That's why there's there tends to be quite a tight ecosystem between the training and the actual event itself. So if we if we organise the event ourselves, like let's say we had a monthly white collar thing, yeah, it'd make perfect sense. But our rule would just be you've got to stay in the gym. I, I don't I, I what I think I struggle with is why you hate it so much. I don't hate it. You've, you, what, what have I just said? I've said, I see how it works if you bring it all under one banner. What I don't like is this idea that you walk into a gym and eight weeks later you walk out and then that's it. Uh, so I, I don't, don't like that. In the same way, Andy, you know, you don't want your next door neighbour coming in here, sleeping, eating, shitting, not flushing the toilet, then fucking off again. <laughs> You don't. You're like, well, mate, you just done. The, you do. You know I mean, you've been out here, like, but what? What have you really put back in? You've just fucked off. I think. 
in in any uh, in any area of life where you've put a lot of work in, if somebody like I saw a bloke down the gym the other day and he was playing squash, and he's on his t-shirt, he's got tough mudder. Probably the toughest event in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought to myself, I thought to myself, I, I want to bounce his head off of the wall. But at the same time, you think, well, you think you might get the point for that. <laughs> you sort of, you sort of think to yourself, that's not. If I don't know why he's wearing that t-shirt, I don't know why he wants to like, like demonstrate, or even for anyone to think that that's what he thinks. But equally, if he does think that, then he's an idiot and I wouldn't want to speak to him. But also, if he doesn't, maybe it's just a bit of fun to him. I, I, you, can't, you can't control what people think about things. And if somebody turns up to your gym and does it for eight weeks and fucks off and then you know, puts it all over Facebook and all that sort of stuff, I just assume that people, anyone with any sort of critical thinking skills is going to realise that guy was an experienced guy and he's not going to hold them up the same sort of I, uh, levels that a, a professional no, boxer would no, be. No, no, let's let, let's think about okay, just from an from an economic view, right? What drives prices up? Scarcity. Scarcity drives prices up as long as you know for for any sustained level of demand, scarcity will drive the price up. Now, boxing in general suffers from this fact that the bottom is so low that anyone can label themselves as a boxer, right? Anyone can now label themselves as a pro. It's not like, you know, there was a time when to get your pro license, you had to spar. Now you just show up pretty much. As long as your brain's pretty much held together with masking tape and a few stitches, you, you're likely to get a license. So you look at, you know, let's say the, the 2,100 people, whatever it is now, that are licensed boxers in this country. Take the bottom 600 of them, and they're shocking. Like, they'd struggle against a three-fight novice in the amateurs. You see what I mean? They're not very good. And then you keep moving up the levels, and it's probably not till you get halfway up that you've got people who you'd class as competent as professionals. So all of a sudden, you're like, well, what am I really paying for? Why am I paying for this up here when I can get this for so much cheaper down here and still tell you this is professional boxing? So all of a sudden, you've made it hard for people to make a living because their product's been devalued so much. You know, how are you going to make an album now when people are putting out their albums for free on, on the internet? You see what I mean? There's no value to it now because the bottom is so low. Yeah, I guess so. But I mean so, so it doesn't benefit anyone. So all these boxes telling you they make money off white collar, yes, but these white collar people aren't necessarily buying tickets to go to shows. They're and uh, I can speak from, from having worked with a few of these guys, their involvement in boxing is very selfish. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, it's very, it's internalized. I want to say that I've boxed. I want to say that I've done it, put it on social media, and I want to take the praise. Cool, that works, right? But it doesn't benefit anyone else because these guys aren't going to buy tickets for Shinquin versus Garvey. Ah, oh, I remember that. Good to see Garvey, you know, doing your call. I remember when he was being swerved. I'm happy. But they're not going to carry over and buy tickets for those sorts of shows. So there's actually no real trickle-down effect. That's the thing. So let's say you've got 100 white-collar guys boxing, right? You, you train them. And they're being trained by Andy. And Andy's got a fight in two weeks. 
if five of those people buy a ticket, you'd have done well. And you think you'd have put all that blood, sweat and tears into helping these guys get to a certain point. But they don't care enough about the sport. They care about themselves, not necessarily the sport. So it doesn't carry over. If it carried over and I was like, you know what, this white collar thing has seen a boon in attendance at amateur shows, at pro shows, I'd be warmer to it. But it, it's because the people, look at the size of my finger. You see that lump there? We done. Training people. See, we, it's not a joke. So when you say, you say, well, I'm my auntie this, Andy. Because it's, of his finger. Because yeah. <laughs> of lumpy fingers. Yeah, lumpy. No, um, so women love it, the white collar. <laughs> God dang. No, so. No. <laughs> so, so you have a white collar organization. The last thing you want to do, Andy, is say, well, actually, you can learn to do all of this stuff by going to Fitzroy Lodge and paying a fiver to be trained by people who are better than me. So, so what you actively do is you separate yourselves from that because they could. I don't know, how much was it for you to train? It didn't cost. But yeah, there had to be some kind of money going to somewhere. Uh, somewhere. Yeah, to do a certain number of tickets at the end. How many tickets did you do? I can't remember. I think uh, it was you had to do a minimum of 20. That could, was the rule. Oh, could you, could you have done a four-rounder with those ticket sales? 200,000, <laughs> 200, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I sold out Wembley. <laughs> <laughs> Without uh, naming an opponent. <laughs> and he date. named the date three years in advance. <laughs> no, but, but so, so here's the point because in the early days of White Collar, if someone had gone to like the Fight Factory in London and gone, you know what? I quite fancy heading over to Broad Street to learn how to train. Mate, you don't want to go there. What do you want to go there for? Well, you want to go to an amateur club, mate. You get your head bashed in. No, no, stay over here, mate. Yeah. Keep paying me 10 times what you're paying that lot there, mate. Yeah. All right. Lovely. That's what happened. So there was this big split. Where they, so even like you could come. So you, I say to people, if you're serious about being part of our club, come and train. You go off and do a white collar bout, fine, do a white collar bout. But what we care about is how you treat the gym. So if you're there year in, year out, excuse me, sorry, and you do three white collar bouts a year, no issue. But you're there. You see I me? Mean? You're there, you're mucking in with the lads, you're hoovering up the ring at the end, you're there going, look, I can help the club raise money, I can get sponsorship. No issues at all. The issue I have is the guy that walks in, yeah, got eight weeks to do a white collar bout. Once that's all done, they fuck off. They what about like, if he also hoovers the ring afterwards? Well, no, no, it, it's, it's the time. I'm like, well, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, it, that, that, that's what, you know. Hoovering. <laughs> I just no, feel no, like no, no, wait, wait, perhaps on, you're bemoaning just a, gra a, 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 um, a tectonic shift in like you're almost like pining for an age that's moved on like the music industry you mentioned what? like once upon a time it w the, the music industry was cornered and therefore it generated lots and lots of money now it's accessible to a lot of people and therefore it's been diluted so lots of people can't make as much money as they did out of it mm. but now it's more accessible to more people not twisted echo music. <laughs> I think you I, just, I think you find some very small distribution <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> of zero. <laughs> you think you'll find Hence, quality over quantity, mate. No, but, no, no. I get your point, Andy. Here, here's the way of looking at it. You say things are moving forward. I'm saying no. Move them even further forward and go. We don't need this intermediation of these white collar organisations, because in the amateur side, we've been organising bouts for generations for god's yeah, sake yeah i mean yeah. I, I, f I find it baffling how you can just go should we set up a white collar boxing thing yeah 
Can we just do that? It's mad, isn't it? Like we, we could set one up, we could train people, yeah. and we could put on a show <laughs> me, in eight weeks' me time. Me training people. In eight weeks' time, we could just hire a nightclub and put a show on. Yeah, that's what I find, and that's, and that's legal. That's legal for people to punch yeah, their heads in. That's what I. That's what I yeah. do agree on. So, is so, that it should be we a legal Saint John's framework. Under it, but but no, no, But then you, you're regulated, uh, like as 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 a governing body. You're there. Are things you have to do. So at, at an amateur about, have you got two ambulances? Yes. Have you got all the requisite officials? Yes. But the important thing is you've got that experience of matchmaking, so you know what to look for. So. If you and I are talking about opponents, Andy, and I go, I've got a lad here, he's 91 kilos. And you go, I've got a lad, he's 91 kilos. 120 kilos, stick him in, mate. That's what. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you've got two lads, the same weight. And I go, actually, you know I mean, mine's a really fat 91. You go, mine's a ripped 91. Guys, you know what? Probably dangerous to have him in there. Then I might go, actually, do you know what? This lad here used to box as a kid, was in and out of gyms his whole life. He's comfortable. We can make that fight happen. Right? We, we're managing the risk with experience. Whereas I've, I've, these amateur shows, these white collar shows, and the 10, 15 kilo weight differences, you're like, whoa, whoa, you're just going to let that happen. It's de- so. But again, I mean, playing devil's advocate, you could say, well, the one who's a lot lighter has done more training historically, is a better athlete. The, the the heavier one has never done it before. Um, just because there's 10, 15 kilos between two people doesn't mean it's necessarily dangerous nor a mismatch. I've seen white collar fights where a smaller person has damaged a bigger person just because they were 10 kilos lighter doesn't necessarily mean that they were always in trouble. But what does that say though? Just look at the look at the image of the sport, right? You've got big lump over here, little lump over there. Right? Unless you're there watching it, you're like, mm. if you're not watching it, you just see that you're like, what the fuck's going on here? No, no, dang it. I'm then, not saying it's then, a great look. Then, yeah, then you've got a guy in the corner in just jeans and a shirt. He's not even prepped for this. And then, I mean, you've got that chaos. And what, so when you look at this whole package, it's like, well, have you invested any effort in this? And it's like, well, I wasn't meant to fight that big guy. I was meant to fight some of my own weight. And you're like, it's trust the people who have been doing it for generations. That's all. You don't need to have a white collar show as a discrete entity, right? You did before because what, what, what England Boxing was saying was we can't have 45-year-olds boxing. It's not in our rules. So you had to have the white collar show, right? There was, a, there was a need for it. Now what you're saying is that need is gone. You guys that want to have these bouts or want to organize these, do it under this structure. Here are our safety requirements. This is what gives the sport confidence this is what's going to stop people getting sued and it's what stops people banging the door going ban boxing because that's what we're trying to stop but england boxing is still going to do it under this eight week premise that and i've said earlier i have an issue with that yeah i really have an issue with that because i don't think you learn anything you know can you imagine no 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 let's use right terry you're going to do the monaco grand prix you're going to learn to drive lewis hamilton's car in eight weeks <laughs> <laughs> do you think you'd get insured for that? But I, I think, think that, you'd that's get slightly... insured if you'd spent a year trying to drive. <laughs> but then you're you're saying two people that, assuming we can evenly match them, you in a, you in an F1 car versus <laughs> Monaco's track isn't a 
relatively fair match. <laughs> it's, an, yeah, it's an absolute shocker. <laughs> I, I want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> the image alone is the most entertaining, entertaining part. I know. Well, what you, no, no, Jill, I know. I, mate, mate, I tell you what, they had a, they had one of the simulators. They've they got one in Milton Keynes, which you can do it. Mate, I, now, I did, I did one. Yeah, it did, did yeah, up at uh, oh, Red Bull in KFC. Tilworth. No, no, it's oh. uh, to uh, Stacey Bush's. <laughs> Another conversation. I did it the other week. I did it in F3 car. Oh really? For my father-in-law's birthday. Oh, that's great cool. Because yeah, I did. They had one. How in, many times did you crash? They had fucking loads. loads. <laughs> And I had it on the easiest settings. Did you stall it and stuff? No, no, I didn't because I, I put it on fucking automatic um. as well. But like the times that you're going, right, well, I've done this corner before. Now I'm an expert. <laughs> now I can fly. No, I can't fly around this corner. Oh, I'm on God the gravel again, spinning <laughs> yeah. around it, it's, again. It's the scariest shit ever because they had one in Selfridges, right? They had like the McLaren simulator in Selfridges and you could have a go. And you're this there. You think it's like a video game, right? Until you put your foot down and the wheel just starts doing whatever the fuck it wants. And you're just there flailing around. And I, it's, it's, the cockpit's like driver sized and I don't really fit. So I'm literally packed in there, arms over the cockpit like I'm literally driving. <laughs> <laughs> just, and, and the lady's looking at me like, are you okay? I'm like, no, this no. is bad. You know, apart from the straights, the straights were brilliant, just floored it. And then realised I had to stop. Didn't have any clue how to stop. And then blind corners. You're like, ah, no. I don't know what I'm doing. Be careful the Titans. The Titans, whack. Oh, man. I've got to have a go at this. Yeah, no, it's, it's worth it. Have we gone on long enough now? Yeah, I think we have. Yeah. But Terry no, but, hates yeah. white collar boxing. And there's no other context to add to that statement. Right. Makes you happy. <laughs> but you see, that's been in talks for a while. Because what, what England boxing have realised is they're losing control of the sport. Well, I mean... The Turns f- out we're not oh. done. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming at some point they've gone, nah, I can't do that because of our rules. And someone else has gone, oh, look, it's financially viable. And they've gone, all right, we'll change our rules. Actually, yeah, we do want it now. Another interesting point about it, really quickly, is Sport England get money per person that signs up to them. As a boxer. Yeah. Uh, so, um, Boxing England get their money from each boxer that signs that registers up and, gets and the shows their... Yeah, so the number of participants in the sport, they get their funding ah. by. Now, they will have mm-hmm. more participants in boxing yeah. because there are people that will sign up to their white collar course. But one of the challenges you'll have is you'll have to pass a medical. So I'd, so that would be interesting. But will you? Will they just change the rules as well, to what the, yeah, what the medical is? Nah, insurance reasons. Can you see this finger? How many fingers am I holding up? Uh, 13? Yeah, that'd do. Can you fit in this cockpit? <laughs> 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 You'll be jetting you off to Monaco. <laughs> okay, that's got to be it. Uh, Two hours and seventeen minutes. No, one oh, more point. Oh, come good. On. Nah, nah. No, no. This is just indulgent now. And, and no, no. And this is this is a point I wanted to add based on that. There have to be points where, if you think about how shit most boxing cards are, there have to be points where we start bringing amateur bouts into some of these pro shows. Oh, we're just going silent now. Well, I just thought I'd seen something on the list that we didn't talk about, and then I thought, no, you oh, didn't. Fuck you it. imagined it. Okay, thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye.